there, and welcome once again to the Great Stories Podcast. My name is Ryan Weber, your host for the show. Uh, you have found a long-format interview uh, program that is unedited, uncut, unscripted, uh, un-everything, where I sit across the table from another person, uh, maybe somebody that I know really well, maybe someone I'm just meeting, and we dig around in their heads. We ask them questions. We ask them about their lives, but most importantly, we just ask them about how they came to know Christ and what following Him has looked like uh, in their life. Uh, it's a real person with a real story, and it's a joy to record these things. So far, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing people that I know, uh, people from my own church or friends that I know, you know, and I've got enough of those to last uh, a couple of years. But really, uh, what I, I, I just ask listeners to do is if you want to be on the show yourself or if you know somebody who you think would be great for me to talk to, if you know their story, gosh, there's so many people out there and everybody has a story. I want to hear it. Send them my way. Uh, you could shoot me an email at uh, thegreatstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow the show on fa- uh, Facebook at, uh, of course, The Great Stories Podcast. And you can find the show, you can listen online uh, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you got an Apple device, if you got an Android device, you can download the Stitcher app. We're on there also. And both of those are cool because they actually send you um, notifications when there's a new episode up. You'll get a banner on your home screen. If you want to do either of those, you can always go directly to the website at greatstories.podbean.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, uh, really, honestly, one of the best things that you can do is just go into the Apple ratings or Stitcher and just give the show uh, a thumbs up, a five-star rating, and share it. Uh, I I really, truly want these stories to get out. Uh, I think the story of Christ saving someone and changing them and just working through their life is something that everybody needs to hear. Uh, and, you know, there's there's a million people that can relate to each of these guests. You know, everyone's got their own story, but we all share elements of each other's. Uh, and I, I just want this to get out there. So share it. Uh, of course, also, there's a little bit of cost that goes into doing this. If you want to support me that way, you can ch- look uh, search for The Great Stories Podcast on Patreon. We've got a Patreon account there. This evening... I got to sit down with a gal named Angela Yi, and she is uh, someone that I've known for about three years or so. She's just an amazing woman, inspirational story. Born uh, in Brazil, moved to Chicago as as a nine-year-old, didn't speak any English, uh, ended up going to college, got married, had kids. Uh, She's a a cancer survivor. She works for a church now. She started... uh, college program there just she's just a delightful person uh so many wise words such a great perspective uh, even having been like mugged <laughs> she's got a good attitude about it uh and uh yeah it's uh it's super smoky in california so we're both <laughs> drinking water and kind of uh, clearing our throats every couple minutes but uh, it was a great interview and uh, i just know it's going to be a blessing uh, for you to listen to just as it was for us to record. Here we go. All right, Angela Yi. Welcome. Thank you. You're on the podcast. Hi. It took a minute. 
to get you here. <laughs> but you're here. This is good. Gosh, my eyes are dry. I know. My throat's really dry too. What's the uh what's the smoke level right now? Two hundred and twelve. Two twelve? What's dangerous? Is it like one ninety something? I don't even know what that means, but Yeah, we're in the extremely unhealthy range right now. Oh gosh. And unhealthy, I think, is between 150 and 2-something. That's crazy. Have you ever, like in all the time you've been in California, has it been this intense fire-wise? No, the, there was a fire in the 90s. I happened to be out of town, Oakland Hills. Yeah. So I was out of town, so I missed it. I remember that. I remember my, uh, my dad was a fireman in that time, and so they were talking about going over there and... Yeah. They pulled every every fire rig from the whole Bay Area to go put Oakland out. Right. I saw it in the news when I was out of town. So, very scary. It's nuts. Yeah. So, everybody's walking around with respirators and, <laughs> and then going outside. It looks like, uh, like zombie fog. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. Yeah. All right. Um,. So you didn't have to go to court today. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> okay. It's Monday. I got the email. I have to go there Monday at 8.30. What are you going to court for? What is, what is the, the backstory on this one? Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll open with that. It's funny. <laughs> All right. So I was a victim of a purse snatching hmm. at the Great Mall uh, a little less than a year and a half ago. And they caught the person. And so I have to serve as a witness. Um basically to prosecute the great mall not so great mall yeah I hear, I, a lot, I hear a lot of crimes here happen there so they took your purse and they actually drug you right for a while so they didn't just like run up and grab it no i was walking to my car after i had lunch with my friend and i was expecting an important email so I pulled out my phone, and I was looking at my phone as I was walking mm. to my car, which was a bad mistake. Don't do that. Distracted walking. Yes, and I also had my purse hanging on my left shoulder, which was the side that the cars were on. My right shoulder was next to the parked cars. And I just felt a tug, and I just thought, oh, my purse got caught in somebody's car as they was driving, driving by. So I asked them to, hey, stop, stop the car. You know, my purse is caught. And, of course, they didn't stop. Um, and they kept going faster. And so now I'm trying to free myself from the strap. And I ended up on my knee being dragged for about 20 feet, I, I expect. Because um, by the time I finally freed myself from the purse uh, and I got off the floor or the ground, I saw my purse going to the, their car mm. where I realized what had happened. And I got up and headed back to the mall. And I walked about 20 feet to get my phone, which was on the floor, on the ground. And they ended up finding him because he used a credit card? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. A year later? Or was it? No. Um, I think it's been maybe within the last year they found they found them huh. uh, for a different crime. And somehow they connected it to this crime. And um, Criminals be committing crimes. Right. And yeah. because they were in a different county, they had to transfer them to the county that the crime happened in. Ah. So that took, that took some time. So when you actually do go to the court, are you going to get to see him? Yeah. So you've never even seen this person who no. did this thing? No. Whoa. That's going to be scary. 
Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how to feel about that. What are you going to say? Have you thought about it? Well, I've been thinking about it ever since it happened, yeah. um, that if I ever got to see him, I would want to tell them that um, that Jesus loves them and that um, since I've been forgiven of much, like I want to forgive them, but I really want them to know that what they did was wrong. And I definitely don't want them to do any more of this. So I yeah. do want them to, you know, be put in jail or something. But, um, yeah, like I'm hoping to be able to extend um, grace and love to them um, and just give them the message that they don't have to live this way, hmm. you know, that um, they could have a life of freedom and that there's a person who loves them so much that he like took their punishment right. um, in order for them to, yeah, li live a free life like I've like I I, I do. Hmm. Well, you have to think about like where someone has to be to think that's a good idea, right? Yeah. Like, oh, there's a lady on her phone. I'm gonna reach out of the window, grab her purse, <laughs> drag her for a while, and then drive off with it, and then use the credit card. Like later, right? Like you're, you, you got a few things backwards in that whole thing, and you have to be pretty desperate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, when you texted everybody and said, "Hey, I just got like mugged and dragged around." <laughs> All of us were like so mad. Yeah. Like, Rah! and you're you're so like, oh, I want to extend them grace, and I've been forgiven much. And we're like, Angela, be angry, stop it. <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, we'll be angry for you. But you can be all gracie and and churchy while we're mad. Around. The whole church staff is just scheming about this person's demise. It's funny. Uh, well, yeah, I I want. There should be consequences right. to actions, right. but at the same time, you can extend, you know, some grace. Right. Well, so. I feel like if they just slap him with a fine or jail time, it's not going to change his heart. Hmm. So when he comes out, he's going to return to the same thing he's always known. Yeah. So, um, and I don't want that because I've, I have more hope for him. Yeah. So I think he needs to hear the good news and uh, and have that impact his heart so that he can change his heart. I hope so. So when <clears throat> when do you officially get to go do that? It was going to be today, but they're looking for more or whatever. Right. So evidence. Monday morning. Monday. All right. Well, by the time this goes online, we'll know <laughs> what happened. <laughs> That's funny. Um all right, well, let, let's dig into your, your story, yeah, because it's longer than Tony's, right? Yes. So, um, start from the beginning. Where were you born? Okay, so I was born in Brazil. Yeah. It's not what I expected. <laughs> um, what part of Brazil did you start in? Um, Sao Paulo. Okay. Is that, that's where, is that where the Olympics were? No. Rio. Rio was the Olympics. Sao Paulo was... Brazil's huge, though. It's hard it to... Yeah. So, as I remember, Rio's a little bit more on the east coast, and Sao Paulo's just west of that. Okay. It's not too far, then. A couple hours, I think. So, how much of Brazil do you remember? Um, 
not a whole lot. I I see pictures and then I can remember being there. Yeah. Um, I was nine, nine and a half when I left. Oh, so, you were that old. Oh, was that old? Okay, yeah, I was nine and a half. Nine and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. So I remember school. I definitely remember church. Um, I spent a lot of time there. I remember my house. Uh, yeah. Do you have any brothers or sisters down there? I do. I have a sister who's 16 months older than I am. Okay. What about, what was the, the family structure? Mom and dad or, or how did, they, okay, how did they get to Brazil? There's a question. Okay. How much time do you have? Um, a little bit. So <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, okay, I'll go back to before World War Two. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> My dad was a teenager. Um, okay. The Japanese invaded uh, China in the Second Sino War right. in, in the early 40s. And he was the firstborn son out of eight children, but he was a second child. Right. So he had to go to the war. And so my grandfather didn't want him to go to the war because he wanted him to get an education. So he took off his wedding band, gave it to my dad, put him up, went on a bus and said, I don't have any money. This is what all I got. Uh, if you're hungry, cut a piece of the gold, sell it, survive, go, go get an education. Um, you know, get go get get your college education and get a job. So he did, and my dad went inland because the Japanese invaded from the coast. Right. And uh, so spent you know the next several years getting his college education, running from the bombings. Um, lots of crazy stories uh, wow. about running and being hungry, and still getting his education, learning by candlelight. Um, Dude. So when he finished that, he got an accounting degree and went to Taiwan. Um, okay. And my mom's family, meanwhile, was from Shanghai. My grandfather was the postmaster of Shanghai, and when the Japanese invasion happened, he just took the family to Taiwan. Okay. So my dad ended up working for our equivalent of the IRS as an accountant, oh. um, and then my mom was an admin at the office, and so that's how they met. Okay. Um, somehow my dad uh, became a Christian and then led her to Christ, and then after a few years, they got married and lived in Taiwan for a while. Um, now it's heading, they've been married about 10 years, was heading towards the late 50s, and um, Taiwan back then, the, still the Republic of China, right. uh, it was at danger for being uh, taken over by the communism. So they didn't want to stick around to find out. At the same time, my dad had um, was serving at a Chinese church there, and they kept asking him to become a pastor. And he, he was like an elder and a leader, and he was like, no, I don't think so. So he jumped in a boat, traveled 40 days, landed in Brazil, and started working as a CFO for one of his friends who went to Brazil early and started a company. Wow. So he thought he was getting away from God's call. And um, so the... Yeah, good luck with that. Right. <laughs> so the few Chinese people who were there started a little church. Right. And then he's and in charge. <laughs> so then he again became an elder. And after a few years, they asked him uh, to pastor the church. Right. And um, this time he heard God's call for real. I, we had a two-story home. And I remember um, him had a... He had a chair that he would always kneel in front of and pray. He always had his Bible with him, and he would pray. And so later, he told later when we were older, he told us a story that um, he was praying about this decision, and there was like a light from the sky or something came. Like he Whoa. he saw like a light. He didn't hear any voices, but it was like you know in his heart he heard you know wow go like I want 
you to lead this church. And so he um, continued to work. Um, so my mom and dad had been married more than 10 years before. Um, they were in infertile. They couldn't have kids in Taiwan. So they land in Brazil. It's 1962. Um, he's working as an accountant. They don't know any Portuguese. Uh, they get involved with this church. They ask him to lead it. And um, he hears God's call. And so he uh, says yes to God and starts attending seminary at night after working all day. Whoa. And then my mom's pregnant. So big sis. <laughs> my sister uh, is born. And um, about four, 16 months later, I was born. So meanwhile, he was still working daytime job, uh, going to seminary at night. Um, and I remember them telling the stories of they didn't have washers and dryers. They had washers, but not dryers. And so they would dry the clothes. But then if it was raining, my mom <laughs> couldn't hang the diapers to dry. So he would come home from work and iron them dry. And he'd huh. fall asleep ironing them. <laughs> so, yeah, so about a month after I was born, um, he was ordained as pastor of the church. Wow. So he pastored a Chinese church there. Um, so every time the doors were open, I was at church. So a Chinese church in Brazil. Mm -hmm. What language did they like? Chinese. Speak it in. Okay. Yeah. So Chinese speaking church in Brazil. I, how many of those are there? There's probably... Not that many, right? I, there were a lot of Chinese and Japanese people who ended up going to uh, really? Japan. Yeah. Huh. I guess it was good neutral turf, right? Right. From the whole war. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So then your earliest memories are in that world. So you're you're seeing dad praying at the chair and you're in the, the Chinese Brazilian <laughs> church, church going to school. That's cool. Um, what what is life like in Brazil? Like, how much of it do you remember besides that? Like, um, I don't remember a whole lot. I do remember um that we were poor, and the city that we were in um had a lot of poor people. Yeah, because the school bus would we all had to wear uniforms, and the school bus would pick us up, but they didn't have money to have people go to school all day, so they would split it half day <laughs> half day. So my sister was assigned the morning shift and I was assigned the afternoon shift and the bus would come pick us up but there were actually some kids who um although they had uniforms it was really dirty and tattered and yeah. many of them didn't have shoes I do remember that yeah um yeah so we would take the bus go to school for half a day and then come home wow it wasn't very safe because I remember a large iron gate um they didn't have yards I lived on a very large street and they didn't have yards but I remember this big gate outside hmm. of our patio. How many kids do you think were at the school? You think? I have no idea. Small place? No. Elementary school. It was good size. Yeah, big school. Just every, everything I've seen of Brazil, like from my living room in Newark, California, <laughs> is all, it's either the Olympics or like the favelas. And oh. just the really, you know, depressed area that there's the really good mixed martial arts fighters come from because oh. they have such a hard childhood i grew yeah. up in brazil i had to fight and then they you yeah know, they learn how to conquer everybody yeah now where i lived was pretty much um it was urban town a large street cars going everywhere uh, okay. we did not own a car so we took a taxi down to church um there was a little coffee shop across the street i remember in the corner my dad would bring us there and have espressos when we were four years old Ooh, all right <laughs> 
That's what stunted my growth. <laughs> Your sister must have drank more than you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what? Um, you ended up moving to America when yeah. you were nine and a half, right? right. Something mm -hmm. like that. So how did that come about? Like, what, what was the... Right, so... Um, it's a big move. After all those years pastoring the church, the church gave my dad, uh, like, a sabbatical. And so he had some friends um, in the suburb of Chicago, and he uh, went to live with them and attend a Bible school. And so he was gone for a year. My mom and my sister and I stayed in Brazil. And um, during the time he was in Bible school, he had to do, like, a two-hour service project. Everybody was required to do that to get yeah. their one-year certificate. And so he ended up uh, preaching and helping out at a Chinese church in Chicago. So after the year, uh, he went back to Brazil, and the pastor who was pastoring that church um, ended up getting cancer and passing away. Oh. So they and asked my dad, hey, would you consider coming here and leading our church? Wow. So after some prayer, my dad's like, okay. Because at the time, they were also thinking they wanted to leave Brazil to come to America to give my sister and I a, a chance at a better education. Right. Um, yeah, the educational system in Brazil wasn't that great. And so he answered the call. So my dad ended up moving to Chicago. I mean, yeah, to Chicago. And my mom and us were left behind to kind of like, I don't know, clean up. So the house pack up. I'm not really sure. But wow. we, stayed, we stayed for a little bit while he, he moved on first. And so we ended up moving to um, Chicago. It was the middle of January in 1974. Oh my gosh. How do you... <laughs> You have that crazy woman power to remember, like, what month and year things happened. That's crazy. Shit, I remember it was January 19th. Wow. It was a Saturday. I remember that. <laughs> what was the weather? Was it... So, you know, South Brazil is south of the equator, so yeah. January was the um, the height of summer. Okay. And um, Chicago <laughs> you go was... go to Chicago in the middle of winter. In the middle of winter. Oh. So we had heard about snow. What is this place? Yeah. Right. But we had no idea what it was like. Right. And so when we landed, we didn't even have clothes oh. that would be appropriate for that weather. You were in poor little Brazilian girl clothes. <laughs> yeah. Ready for summer. But coming from the summer, right? <laughs> and I remember leaving the airport in Chicago and... Um, we were handed some coats, and they're like, put it on, put it on. But it was like 95 degrees, 90% humidity when we left. And right. we're like, no, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being really upset and just like crying as I'm leaving Brazil. I think, one, because I was sad I was leaving, but two, because all these people were fussing over me. Mm. I was like, it's hot. I don't want to wear this coat. Your, did your mom go with you? Yeah. Fly, you flew together? Yeah, so okay. the, the three of us, my sister, my mom, and I. Right. Um, yeah, so my dad's friends, who he had lived with when he first came out, um, uh, they were both doctors, um, and so they generously helped our family. So they came to the airport with right. real coats for us. <laughs> they, they knew. <laughs> yeah. And some boots. And These poor kids are going to die as soon as they get here. Yeah, some yeah. mittens and scarf, and <laughs> we were like, what is this? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was quite interesting. So it was, it was like snowing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is the dad? What? have you done <laughs> it, well, it was kind of fascinating but yeah. the snow that had been on the ground for a while was kind of hard and crunchy and dirty yeah and we're like wow that's not what we thought snow would be yeah but a few <laughs> days later like when snow actually came out of the sky it was amazing that's neat yeah it was really cool so i, I have no memory of the first time i saw snow because it was like yeah. i think i was six months old in every winter from then on you know yeah 
I think it's amazing to meet people who've grown up around here and still haven't seen it. Oh, that's true. You're like, come on, yes. dude, it's two <laughs> hours away. Just take a drive. Yeah. Throw a snowball. Come on. Wow. So there you are, Chicago. And uh, I'm assuming you were you were bilingual. Mm, yes, we were bilingual in Chinese and Portuguese. Chinese and Portuguese now in Chicago. Yes. Which is English. English. <laughs> right? <laughs> Mostly English. So talk about that. Gosh. It's a... Yeah, so we we arrive on a Saturday. We go to church on Sunday, meet all of our new church friends. Chinese church? Mm -hmm. Chinese okay. church. So you... um, all right. And then Monday morning, my dad says, you guys are going to school. So he, he drives us four blocks to the local public school and um, drops us off. I don't even remember if he went in with us, but I do remember my sister and I walking up the steps. And he said, okay, I'll pick you up here at 3.15 or whatever school let out. So somehow we were, yeah, somehow yeah. we were walked to our classes. Uh, we, the class had already started, so we walked in when class was already in session. They introduced us to the teacher. Um, I remember her name was Mrs. Prishman. And uh, they sat us down. Well, I sat down, and then my sister went to a different class down the hall. And I had no clue what was happening. Yeah. And so there, she's just talking, and kids are just sitting there. And um, the bell rings, and all of a sudden, everybody gets up and gets their boots and their coats. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll get my coat on. You're doing that. <laughs> Absolutely no clue where they were going. So I just kind of followed the crowd and I tried to like find a couple of people I could recognize mm. so that I could come back. And so, um, yeah, I guess they went, we went out to the playground and I just kind of stood there and watched everybody try to look for my sister. Wow. And then the bell would ring again and then they would all line up and I would look for um, my teacher and I would line up and go back to class again and day after day it was just like that occasionally she would say something and everybody would get up and get something and then I see everybody with scissors and I'm like oh I don't have any scissors so then I would draw a picture to the guy next to me and say like do you have this that scissors. I could use you know oh. and so they go oh yeah you know and they give it to me and then uh, um, they always sat us next to um, Chinese people right but we didn't speak the same dialect Right. So I, we couldn't understand each other. And oh. then I, across the room, I hear something that's kind of familiar. So I'm like, okay, that sounds like a familiar language. It wasn't quite Portuguese, but I could understand a little bit of it. It turns out it was Spanish. Okay. So then I started hanging out with the Spanish kids because I could actually <laughs> kind of communicate with them. Wow. Yeah, it's the same basic. Like you'd have to tweak it, but you could you, you can, do a lot better than you could with English. Yeah. You yeah. can kind of make out it was similar vocabulary and um, definitely wow. gra grammatical structure. So you can kind of figure out a little bit what they're saying. Yeah. And somehow, um, so this is in January, um, somehow we made it through to June. I remember being pulled out into like English as a second language classes. Oh, it's so, about, okay. It's about time. <laughs> so, you know, they would teach, teach you things like apple and oranges and books. and Yeah. You, started somehow learning those things i remember going home and um watching sesame street All right. and i learned english with sesame street just like little kids would go sesame yeah yeah that's, that's how they do it yeah and um by i think we had summer school in the summer i'm not positive but by fall i was speaking fluent english skipped a grade and so i I had finished third grade in Brazil because their school system goes January to December. 
Okay. So then when I came here, we repeated, I repeated third grade for a half okay. a year. And then by fall, I skipped fourth grade and went into fifth grade and was speaking fluent English. That's so fast. I don't know. I don't know how kids do that, but kids do that. Wow. You're just like a sponge. Well, and it's a total immersion. Yeah. Right. It's like, I got to learn this or I just can't survive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what was like the, besides the language and the school, like culturally, what did, what do you remember like being surprised by or like, oh, this is different here or besides like obviously snow, <laughs> English yeah. school. I, hmm, that's a hard question. I, I don't remember that far back. It was a long time ago, hmm. but I do have a couple of memories of being, um, of, uh, being PE, having PE and it was baseball. And okay. I've never seen that before. Yeah. We don't play baseball in Brazil, as far as I can remember. A lot of soccer. A lot of soccer. That they call football. Right. Um, and so I remember being, um, standing there and people were picking teams. And of course, guess what? Nobody wanted me. So <laughs> I ended up being the last kid picked every time. Yeah. Um, I remember kids making fun of me, you know, because I was Chinese. They didn't realize that I wasn't that I spoke a different language, you know, so it was, yeah. So yeah you're do, a total anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. So do remember people making fun of me? Um, because like I said, you know, my dad was a pastor. Um, we uh, qualified for free lunch. And so okay. there was that extra stigma of always standing in the free lunch line. Right. So I do remember that. I remember the food was really odd. <laughs> it was like, what is this white mushy thing with a brown <laughs> sauce on top? Never had mashed potatoes. It's mashed potatoes. <laughs> Come on. Um, so yeah, the food was very odd. I grew yeah. up eating all Chinese food at home, and I don't remember very much about what Brazilian food was like. Um, a lot of rice and beans is what I remembered. But yeah, yeah. So American food was very odd. Wow. Well, we have rice and beans here. Yeah. <laughs> we have everybody's food. That's what I love. Yes. So we just hijack everyone's cuisine and make it our own. We come up with things like Panda Express and Taco Bell. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's fascinating. Gosh, I didn't I didn't realize you were that old. I thought you were four, five years when you came over. That's neat. So how long did it take for you to feel like, okay, I am home. Like, this is where I'm at. Like, was there a, oh, I miss Brazil. Or, I want to go back. Or why'd you take us here? But, like, was there a struggle with that? I remember missing a couple of my friends. Um, but I, I think it was just like, this is America. We're going to make a new life. Um, I don't remember being discontent. You know, I, yeah. I just remember just being very happy where I was. Um, I like going to church, playing with my friends. Um, my sister and I now had a secret language. We can talk to each other so we could always be <laughs> yeah, having, right, for Portuguese. No yeah, we could always be having private, private conversations. Um, That's great. And, you know, we had like, Chinese if we were if we were with somebody who didn't speak Chinese and we could just speak Chinese to each other and then we met a family who were from Brazil but now they spoke Chinese Portuguese and English and so my sister and I had to learn another secret language so we started learning sign language <laughs> <laughs> so we always had our secret little languages that's so fun so you met another trilingual Brazilian family how, yeah. did, how did they know Chinese what is that well, I think they were in Brazil for a while, yeah. Wow. That's funny. I had a secret language, too. It was written. Oh. 
this friend of mine, all, it was the simplest, like a code breaker could break it in uh, two minutes. Because right? yeah. all we did was take the alphabet and for every letter we just invented a new symbol. Oh, I see. And so we would write. I got fluent in it. Like I could read it as if it was English at That's a certain amazing. point. We'd write letters to each other. That's amazing. Eventually it, like somebody else saw us doing it and they he's like what's that and i was like dude it's our secret code and he's like oh, wow like can i learn it and it's like yeah you can learn it and then it started to get around and it was like oh no like it's not the secret code no, anymore no the secret's out so we changed some of the letters we flipped them around so they couldn't read it anymore it's like it's, it's that's like great fifth or sixth grade yeah dumb kids do that they want to keep secrets and talk to each other without everybody knowing the thing is we never wrote anything important <laughs> i like this girl yeah. Or like, what do you want to do after school today? Like, tell me, meet me in the court. You're like, that's what we're going to do anyway. Like, it's whatever. <laughs> it works. Uh, so then Chicago. So you, you stayed there until? I went to college. So then I went. So um, from nine to like 18. Yes. You're in Chicago. Yeah. We were living in the city of Chicago until I was like 12, I think. I went okay. to junior high. Maybe a few, I, I went to a few days of grade school so that we can be registered into the junior high. Okay. And so then we started, we basically had um, junior high uh, and high school in Chicago. I mean, in the suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Called Oak Park. Oak Park. Cool. So what was the, like, spiritual status of your American yeah. teenage years? Like, what, what did that look like for you? So, um, I always thought that I was a good kid because I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. We were always told, um, don't mess up. Uh, don't embarrass us. Everyone's watching. Be the good yeah. kid. And, Pastor's kid. Yeah. Be a good example. Mm. And so pretty much my sister and I were just always good kids. Yeah. Uh, we helped out wherever they needed us to. And when we came to um, the United States, my dad sent my sister and I to a um, a good news club after school. Okay. Because he said, you know all the stories in uh, Portuguese and in Chinese, you should learn English. And mm. so this, here's an opportunity for you to learn English. Right. So we went there after school and she would be telling us Bible stories and singing songs. And one day it was just, it just kind of like dawned on me. Um, it was shortly after we got here because I still didn't speak English, right? And yeah. she was telling the story, and it dawned on me that I had to make my faith my own. Huh. I couldn't ride on my parents' coattail and assume that I was going to go to heaven because I had never made a personal decision to accept Christ. <laughs> you just came up with that? <laughs> it was like through the Whoa. story she was telling. And okay. so I, I prayed to receive Jesus. I was nine-something. Wow. It was definitely before my 10th birthday. Um, but nothing really changed. Yeah. I was just a good kid. I was obedient. Um, my sister would fight with my parents sometimes, and I would see the consequences of that. So I decided I'm just going to be the good kid. And Learn by her example. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so high school, um, when I f went to high school, uh, we went to a summer camp. So then at that point, um, my dad started a new church out in the suburbs, mm. but it was really small. You know, like 20 people met in our house and no kids. And so he sent us to a church across the street, literally across the street. <laughs> and... Um, with a you know it was a small church but it had a, a good youth group and so we hung out okay. with those people plus we went to high school with them okay so it was like people we knew what was the denomination it remember? was plymouth brethren plymouth what's that mean i've never heard of that. oh okay <laughs> it's um 
very conservative. Okay. Um, it sounds like it. Yes. Yeah. And they're Bible teaching, um, theologically very, very conservative. Mm. Um, the only thing I really know for sure is that women don't speak. And okay. uh, when you, like when I went into church, I had to cover my head. Okay. And yeah. Very, very strict and mm -hmm. reading. Yeah. And they had, um, they would call the Lord's Supper as a separate service yeah. on Sunday night. Okay. So, and the church was led by elders. There were no pastors. Okay. Um, elders taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we would have regular service in the morning and then at night everybody would come back for the Lord's Supper and it would just be like an hour and anybody could get up and share from the Bible and pray. And then at the end of it, we'd all, you know, kind of have communion together, but okay. women, women can never talk. At all? At all. Like not even hello. Mm, well, Good yes. morning. We Good could morning. say to, we could say hi to each other, but we could never stand up and share. Okay. Yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So we went to that, that church through seems our, weird through yeah. our high school years, and then uh, they had a youth camp, uh, Lake Geneva Youth Camp, that we went to, and I met people um, who were just like outside of the realm of the people I would normally meet because I only knew church kids. Yeah. And um, these kids were on fire for Jesus, but they had gotten into all sorts of trouble already. Um, they had, you know, they had had sex, they had drank, they had done drugs, and they were 16 years old and it just on fire for Jesus because they really, um, yeah, they were really like joyful about their new life in Christ and their yeah. just their new identity in Christ. And I, I was just kind of really wanting that for myself. Yeah. You know, because I just lived a normal, boring life all my life. And my conversion experience wasn't amazing like theirs was. Um, but I decided that I wanted to be devoted more to more devoted to Christ. And so I, I rededicated my life. I remember I was 16 hmm. at camp, campfire moment. Campfire. Um, Gotta love those camps. Yeah. yeah. So I think in my heart, I wanted to be more um committed to have a real real relationship with jesus even though all of my life i read the bible almost every day yeah and my dad had a little devotion with our family every day so in that sense nothing changed that much um but now my faith was was more my faith hmm. um somewhere around there i also had attended a urbana missions conference okay and decided that i wanted to become a medical missionary oh yeah so i then decided to finish uh, high school early because all of the missions organizations that I was looking at required a one-year Bible certificate. Yeah. So I decided to finish high school in three years and then use what would have been my senior year to go to Bible school and get my certificate, okay. which, which is what I did. Fast track. Yeah. Wow. So go back for a minute to the campfire moment. Uh, was it something that, that some speaker said or was it a small group thing or it like was, what what kind of pushed you to that spot yeah it was just my friend andy and his testimony of huh. how much of what god saved him from huh. and i thought that was really cool did you feel like and this is fascinating to me i have the opposite story i came i was 22 or whatever um did you what, what am i trying to say like it, it when I talk to a lot of like students who are raised in the church, they feel like, oh, God didn't really like save me from as much or he didn't have to work as hard for me because I didn't 
mess up as bad. Like you talked about the kids having it. I think it's funny that even then, our kids now think they're like, oh, we're the baddest kids ever. Like we do this and that. Like, dude, you guys, you're not, you're not inventing anything new. Um, how did you reconcile that? Like you, you're hearing this dramatic testimony and you're like, well, I just grew up in the church. I'm the good kid. You know? I, what fascinated me was that he loved Jesus so much. You know, and I was trying to relate with that. Huh. And I really, I really did think um, that God didn't, didn't save me from much because I was always a good kid. Hmm. You know, I didn't realize um, back in my, you know, where I was then, I just didn't realize that I sin all the time. Yeah. I just thought sin was doing bad things, which I didn't do. Right. right. Like, I wouldn't even lie to my parents, hmm. you know. I was just a good kid, you know. As far as, as far as the Big Ten go, right? You're good, right? Yeah, I see. What would you, what would you say to one of those students who now has grown up and would and I've heard it, you know, they've said it to me, where oh, I just don't have really testimony, and I, you know, it's just not. What do you tell them? Yeah, see, recently I've come to the reconciliation of that in my own head. Um, I'm really grateful now because there's nothing that I have to unlearn or unsee because hmm. I just didn't get myself into anything, right? And I, I see that as God's grace and his protection for me. Um, I also see that as um, his way of telling people that they don't have to have a horrible past for, for God to save them. Hmm. It's like all of us, like every moment of the day, thoughts will cross through my head, which are sin, and it's enough to put Jesus on the cross. Yeah. You know? And so for them to be able to realize um, that, uh, you know, a bad thought about their friend or a critical thing about their parents, that's sin, right? Right. And that, yeah, those things are all sin and they're all counted the same. They're all in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've counseled a couple people and I always tell them, like, you know, it's a huge privilege yeah that that god would see fit to shelter you exactly <laughs> like why would you wish that you had a, a closer relationship with evil right <laughs> in your life like right. you don't have that right. if i could trade spots with you i would do it right now right or to like unlearn things um you can't unsee things. Right. That's the, exactly. one of the things that uh, Scott Taylor says a lot. You yeah. can't you can't unsee what you've seen. Right. And it's there. And even mm. now, you know, I still get made fun of that I grew up under a rock. That there's a lot of pop culture I don't know. Right. right. Um, and yeah, I've... who makes fun of you? You tell me. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to them. <laughs> well. So I want to know, um, as, as you're moving on, you said you were, you were in Chicago to a college. Yes. Okay. Um, how did you decide or where, where did you end up going to Berkeley? Uh, no, no, I, I went Darn to, uh, my husband went to Berkeley. That's I went right. to the university of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, which was about 150 miles south of Chicago. Okay. Far enough. Did you, did you move to college or did you like commute uh, no yeah no i'm with that so okay. i went to bible school in my hometown the same bible school that my dad went to years before oh. the reason we moved here okay um, yeah uh, it was called emmaus bible school at the time now it's called emmaus bible college okay um 
Plymouth Brethren, so very conservative. Right. Um, so I moved away there for a couple of quarters, and then I'm, you know, I was home for one quarter, and then after that I went to college for four years downstate Illinois. And okay. Lived, lived in the dorms. So six years altogether then. It's uh, a lot of college. F- uh, five. One year of Bible school and four oh, years one, college. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you you went to Bible school now. Okay. How did that? Why did you decide to go to Bible school? Well, it was because the missions organizations required a one-year Bible certificate. Right. Okay. So you I, said that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's the smoke. Just I'm, I'm foggy-headed too. Okay. So one-year Bible school, four years of college. What did you major in the college? So I started out biology pre-med because I was going to become medical missionary. Yeah. Uh, first semester into biology class, I really did not like the kids. They were really competitive. Hmm. And like everyone was out, was out for for themselves. And I was like, no, I was really hoping for a more collaborative environment. Mm. Um, so I decided to change my major to bioengineering. Still kind of stay in the biologies, but then okay. go towards my strengths of physics and math, you know, and science. Yeah. So I, I went that way. And somewhere along the line, before my sophomore year of college, I remember doing the calculations in my head and thinking, okay, so <laughs> four years of undergrad. And I'm, I'm paying for all of my education. Yeah. So four years of undergrad, all that debt, and then um, four four years of medical school, and then they always have a bunch of stuff you have to do after for right. residency and all this other stuff. I, de- depending on what field you went, it would be a different number of years. Yeah. And I added it all up, and I thought, okay, by the time I pay off all my debt, I'm going to be like way over 30 years old before I can even go overseas. And somewhere in there, I should get married and have kids. But I couldn't do that if I had right. to pay off all my debt. And I decided I really wanted to get married and have kids huh. and be a stay-at-home mom. So maybe this medical missionary thing isn't really my calling. Hmm. And at the same time, I was getting involved in um, leadership at the Bible study fellowship that I was attending. The, okay. And uh, so I was like, you know, I think I want to lead people. I want to lead people to know God better. And I could do that at a church um, as well. So I kind of changed my major to bioengineering. I spent two years taking all the prerequisites, which, which happened to be electrical engineering classes. By the time I got to my senior year, mm. I was done with school. And I was like, you know, if I change my major, no and, I, and I take six double E, double e upper division classes this year, I could graduate and get a job. So that's what I did. Gosh, that's, that's a load, man. It was, it was a load. So you graduated in three years or so four? You, four see, you did the full four. Mm-hmm. That's a heck of a fourth year, though. Yeah, it was. Most kids nowadays would do that in five. But so. Yeah, but I was paying for it myself, so yeah. I had to get out. You had motivation. To, yeah. yeah, you don't want to go into that fifth year. No. Wow. I, I, the electrical thing is a surprise. I didn't know that either. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you don't know about? <laughs> I, I don't know anything about electrical engineering. I just learned what I needed to learn to pass the tests. Just, just hold on to it till the test and then dump it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Still don't understand it. It's okay. You don't have to. Yeah. It's magical. I'm always <laughs> blown away by like these kind of things. Like I have this magical device I can hold in my hand and it does all these crazy things. I have no idea how it works. But I'm glad there's people that do. Yep. Me too. Um, and then, so just keep going. 
So let's Wait, when, see. So, when does Michael come into the picture? I wanna, right. Okay. So um, I, as I was graduating from college, back then, companies would just come on campus. But University of Illinois was one of the top engineering schools in the country. So lots of recruiters came. And I interviewed with a bunch of people. And they all offered me plant, uh, plant trips. And so I went, they flew okay. me to their places. So I went up to IBM in uh, upstate New York. Wow. I went to digital equipment out in Boston. I went to General Motors in Michigan. And I went to this little company called LSI Logic in Milpitas, California. So hey. I took all of these plant trips, interviewed. They all offered me jobs. And these are all like electrical engineering jobs. Yes. Not correct. bio or anything no, like that. No, yeah. I got my double E, yeah. Wow. So they all offered me jobs, and I was like, okay, so I can stay close to home and live in Michigan, which I didn't want to do. Yeah. I could go to New York or Boston. I loved Boston, but it was kind of far and kind of cold. Or I can come to sunny California, California and <laughs> live in Silicon Valley. So it was kind of barely a decision. Um, I was dating a guy in college who was from San Francisco, California. Oh. So he got his master's when I got my bachelor's, and he headed out to, Cal uh, to Southern California. So I thought, okay, we've been together a couple of years. I'm going to head out to California. Hmm. So That's still not very close. San Diego? Uh, L.A. Here? L.A. Area. L.A. to here? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Okay. But I thought California, same state. That's so, true. So I took, I took a job in Silicon Valley thinking, I'll just stay out of here a couple of years and then go back home. <laughs> That was my thought. How'd that work out? <laughs> <laughs> so I came out to California by myself. I was 21 years old. It was before my 22nd birthday that summer. Um, the company gave me money. They put me up at a, at a apartment. They gave me money for a rental car. Wow. Yeah. And I got to come out, I don't know, about 10 days before I started work. And I met another gal um, from Michigan living in the same place, work at the same company. So we kind of connected with each other and hung okay. out a little bit. Um, I had I had a call one of my friends from college who I had known, um, but we hadn't talked in a while. And so I gave him a call and said, hey, I'm in California. I've got a job in Milpitas. And do you have a church that you could, you know, hmm. recommend or for me or take me to? And he like, he'd be like, yeah, but I don't know that you're going to go there. It's kind of far. It's up in Oakland. But, you know, okay. come out anyway. I'm like, okay. So... Friday night, uh, he takes me to the Young Adult Fellowship in Oakland. Okay. And I was living in um, Santa Clara. All right. Uh, so, yeah, and they were having like a skit night. Uh, Michael and his friends were doing some kind of skit. So afterwards, uh, I was just, you know, people were taking me around and introducing me to different people. So I actually met him. Uh, the running joke at that church is everybody meets by the garbage can in the snack in the sna snack area. <laughs> so I met him by the garbage can in the snack area. So, so it was like four or five days after I'd gotten to California, I met him. Wow. Yeah, and I liked the church. There was a huge young adult group, kind of like Prime is. Um, there was like about sixty people. Um, a lot of fun. My friend was going there, and so he'd be like, "Hey, we can just carpool the church and to yeah. you know to the group every Friday night." So we did that. So we started carpooling to church and to the group every Friday night. Um, yeah. What year was this? 1986. 86. Okay. Because when I think of going from Milpitas to Oakland, I just think of like traffic. Oh, yeah. No, back then <laughs> it, it, was, it was a two-lane road and yeah. the center divide had oleander bushes. Uh, so there was no 880? There was 880. It was called 17, actually. Oh. It was before it was, it was, before it was called 880. It was 17. 
That's crazy. I know. It's amazing to think how fast things have grown up around here. It's, it's weird. And they're still going. Yeah. Um, neat. And, and this was a English church, Chinese church, or? It was called Chinese Independent Baptist Church. Okay. And it had a Chinese uh, congregation speaking Cantonese. And then it had the English congregation, which is the part that we went to. You went to the English one. Mm -hmm. But okay. it was all like Asian Americans like me. Okay. Asian, English. Got it. Baptist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got you. All, all these like situations you're in are all like, they have these like hyphens between them. <laughs> That's funny. I've always been uh, white. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I yeah. have wished that I had been part of majority culture in my life. Yeah. You know, that's funny. I was talking about that today with uh, our, our video production guy, Jay, about how I don't actually remember being the majority <laughs> very often because I grew up around yeah, here. Yeah, that's true, huh? So it's like, yeah, I don't, yeah, the, the whole minority majority thing just doesn't really apply to like the bay area fremont especially yeah. fremont now even on the peninsula it's a little bit more uh i guess a little less diverse yeah but over here it's like i'm not there's no majority like you walk into anywhere you're like you got one of everything two of some and a bunch of ones you don't even know what people are like right. anyway that's fun and then uh what about the dude in la right you give so, him a call and say, hey, buddy. It kind of started to fizzle out, and um, I have to tell this story because Michael will appreciate it. So I started hanging out with these young adults and just having a ton of fun, just doing different things. Yeah. And one weekend, uh, and they would just go different places on weekends. And so Michael called me up one day, and he goes, hey, we're going to go to Sacramento. Have you been there? I'm like, no, where is that? Because I just came to California, right? Yeah. And so I'd be like, oh, it's not, not too far. We're going to go to Sacramento. Do you want to come with us? So I'm like, sure, why not? And while I was talking to him, my call waiting line beeped. Back then we had call waiting. And the yeah, I, remember, I remember call waiting. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm like, hold on. So it was, you know, my boyfriend calling me. He's like, hey, you know, I want you to come to California. I bought a house. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. And uh -huh. then so I'm like, hold on a second. I'm on a call. Let me hang up. I'll come back. So I went back to the other line and said, okay, it's him calling. I got to go. He wants me to go to California. And Michael said, you know, you should really go because, um, you know, you're, you're in a committed relationship and you should just, you know, like make good of your commitment to him and you should really go huh. all along knowing that he was shooting himself in the foot because yeah, he's thinking don't go don't go right because <laughs> he liked me um and i obviously enjoyed him yeah but everything everyone was safe because i had a boyfriend so it was yeah it was i could just be friends with anybody and but I, you know so i hung up with him and, and i told the other guy okay i'll i'll come down this weekend so mm. um and then shortly after that, I had to go on a business trip to the East Coast for like five weeks. Um, so I was gone through Thanksgiving and Christmas and the New Year. And um, so my boyfriend didn't write me or call me for the whole time I was gone. <laughs> but guess who I was getting letters from? Michael. No, my car written by Michael. <laughs> so he would write <laughs> notes to me and sign it like my car with like little little tire marks as a signature. It was adorable. <laughs> Why? I, what, where did he come up with that? Because my car was parked in his garage, actually. From your car? Mm -hmm. So he was... <laughs> he, he would just write me little oh, notes. Gosh. Michael, that's cute. <laughs> From your car. Just, so to I, ma just to make it less awkward that he's writing or you. Or just to be cute, you know. Right. Um, so... <laughs> 
uh, when I came back in January, I just I broke up with a guy. He had it coming. Yeah. yeah. He let you. He let you go. And then things kindled up with Michael, and then. So I told one of my friends. Yeah. Um, okay, I broke up with him, but don't tell anybody. I just don't want to be in a relationship for a while. I just need a break from all this. Yeah. I. I just want to be single. I want to be free. I want to just do my own thing for a while. So don't tell anybody right. that I'm, you know, that I broke up. And she was living with her brother and she told her brother who ended up telling his best friend <laughs> who happened to be the person who um, really, really, really wanted Michael to find a, find a girl. Word got around. So That's she so called him right away. And the very next day I get a phone call from Michael and he's like, so, hey, you know, would you like to do dinner in a couple of weeks? And I'm thinking, oh, dinner's kind of like intense, like so, like then it's a real date, so like yeah. something more casual. So I said, well, how about lunch? He'd be like, sure, lunch is good. He goes, have you been to San Francisco? I'm going, no. So he's like, okay, well, you know, how about if we go to San Francisco? I'm like, he takes you to San Francisco for lunch. I'm like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> go, Michael. And so I hang up, and my roommate's like, who is that? I'm like, oh, it's Michael. She goes, well, what do you want? I'm like, well, he wanted to asked me for dinner, but I told them we'll just have lunch. She goes, when? And I go, like, in two weeks on Saturday. She goes, do you know what two weeks Saturday is from now? I'm like, no. She goes, it's February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. I'm like, right. Uh, <laughs> so Romantic. <laughs> but I had already said yes, and so I'm like, okay, I'll just have a quick lunch. I'll, we'll make a big deal out of it. There's nothing quick about that, no. <laughs> no. So we ended up having a 13-hour first date. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my gosh. So you liked him? Yes. So it worked. Okay. Um, uh, it, it, was it you? Yeah. You were telling me Michael had a question for you on your first date. Yes. So this was the date? Yes. The Valentine's Day date. He, yes. Okay. I, so we went to lunch, that. and then we hung around Ghirardelli Square. Right. Um, it was rainy, getting kind of close to dinner time, and he'd be like, oh, so do you want me to take you home, or are you hungry? Do you want to grab dinner? And I'm like, Second sure, date. Well, <laughs> sure, we'll grab dinner. He goes, okay. And he had already made a reservation somewhere. Oh, so, you dog. So he took Michael. Me. So we went to this restaurant, and um, we ordered our, it was an Italian restaurant, and he, um, so the he got soup, and I got salad, and as I'm eating my salad, and he's having his soup, he's like... So, hypothetically speaking, like, <laughs> if you ever got married, and would you want to have kids, and if you wanted to have kids, would you, like, want to pursue your career, because I was an engineer at the time, Yeah, and you had or would you want to stay home and take care of your kids? And I was like, well, I want to stay home and take care of my kids, because why have them if you can't raise them? So, um... He's like, okay. So we went on with the conversation, you know. Right. Later, he told me that had I said that I would pursue my career, he, there would have not, not have been a second date. Man. Hey. He, I, obviously, he's not the kind of guy that just, like, wastes time. <laughs> no. That, <laughs> that's, that's, really, that's one of the things I appreciated about him is he was just a man of conviction. Yeah. yeah. He still is. Mm-hmm. He's very direct. I like that. So then, uh, how long did it take for you guys to finally tie the knot um i think we got engaged uh, a little over a year after that and then we were engaged for 13 months okay so 
Yeah, but I I had to wait for my sister. My sister was doing a three-year. Um, she was teaching at Morrison Academy, and she was doing a three-year contract kind of thing. So we had to wait for her to come back from Taiwan so she can be in the wedding. Wow, that's cool. Um, sorry, the dog is snoring. Hey, <laughs> wake up. There you go. <laughs> Normally I, normally, I put her outside when I do podcasts, but it's unhealthily smoky. So, the dog is here listening. She's not very talkative, though. <laughs> um, so, then, you and Michael are here. This is great. And then, so, you, did you keep going to that church in Oakland? Yes, is that Okay. How long did you go there for? Just, just... We went there all the way until I was in my eighth month of pregnancy with my first baby. Whoa. Yeah, and... Um, it was just a little far. They didn't have good parking. Uh, it was in Chinatown, Oakland, so we would have to walk numerous spot blocks yeah. each time. And so I was like, if my water breaks or if I go into labor, <laughs> it's not a good place for me to be. So let's start looking for a church in the Fremont area close to home. Okay. And that's when you landed at uh, FCC? Uh, no, actually, oh. we, we went. So the pastor who officiated our wedding um, started a new church. Um, in Fremont. So we attended that for a little bit. Um, and then um, actually some of those people are at Resonate now still. Huh. Yeah. And then uh, about six months later, um, after the baby was born, our church in Oakland, Chinese Independent Baptist, uh, started a daughter church in Fremont. Okay. So CIBC Fremont. And so they're like, hey, come see us and all of the friends we knew. And so we went there and we're like, yeah, this feels like home. All of our friends were there and they were all having babies. And so all of our, all of our kids had friends. Right. So we were there for probably seven years, but there were more children than adults at that church. And so everybody Whoa. had to serve in children's ministry. <laughs> and um, I'm just not a kid person. And so after a while, both Michael and I kind of got burnt out. Yeah. And they also had, uh, it was a, Chinese and English speaking, but they would do translation in the same service. So okay, it was kind of hard to listen to the sermon. So you would hear both, both at the same. That's weird. One sentence at a time. Oh, you know, it's kind of painful. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, you figure they'd have more of like a, a closed captioning kind of thing or something like that. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, they translate as they go. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of that. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's very typical of Chinese churches. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. I, that would be. That'd be so long. Gosh. Yeah. You couldn't say as much. <laughs> right. So then... I, um, oh, so then after that, we went to FCC. Then you went to FCC. Mm -hmm. Fremont... Community, Community Church. Community Church. It was always called that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, no. Easy. You good? Okay. <laughs> You're the best dog ever. You know that. You are. Good girl. <laughs> um... So you had, uh, when, when was your first kid born? What year was 1993. that? 1993. 93? Mm-hmm. And you know what month, I'm sure. April. Yeah, it's April. Easter day. Easter, Easter Sunday. Really? Easter baby? Yeah. I didn't know that. And then you had three more. Yes. Bam. Now, were you, so at, at what point, you're still working for the place in, in Milpitas? Yes, I was. Uh -huh. So that whole time you're there, yes. and then you have a baby, and... So stay true to your word. Did yes. You? Okay. You yeah. <laughs> so I used up all of my maternity leave and I used up all of my vacation time. And now the baby's four months old. Yeah. And um, I had to call my boss and say, hey, um, 
I'm not going to come back. Mm. Um, but one of the reasons I held on so long was because uh, Michael was kind of in between jobs also. And uh, I think he was working for AT&T at the time and it, there was um, possible layoff. So ah. it was like, well, we better, one of us better hang on to a job. Yeah. And so that summer, um, he ended up running into someone at BART who told them about Alameda County Water District and he applied and got the job. So he started working at um, ACWG like in the middle of June when the baby was two months old and I just kept my maternity leave and vacation pay for two more months and then I, when that ran out, I called it and resigned. That's it, single income. Mm-hmm. So how was that? Is that? Well, we had always prepared to be single income. So he had a house when we got married uh, up in Alameda mm. and he sold it and we bought a house in Fremont. But instead of buying a single family home with an attached garage, we bought a, a attached home, a town home with a detached garage. So we okay. t- took a step down right. because we wanted to be able to do it on one income. Yeah. So that's what we did. So when, um, yeah, when the baby was born, we just uh, lost my salary and just depended on his. Then he went into family building mode. Yeah. Man. Uh, so keep going from there. Give me the highlights of being a, a mother in Fremont, single income. Yeah, so it was really hard uh, to be a stay-at-home mom in the beginning. Uh, before, I would meet people, and you know, as they always do, oh, what's your name, where do you live, what yeah. do you do? Yeah. And then it was, now I was meeting people, and they'd be like, oh, what's your name, where do you live, and what do you do? And I'd be like, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And they used to like have be interested in what I was doing, ask more questions. And when I said I was a stay-at-home mom, they'd be like, oh. Oh. And that'd be in the end of that conversation, right? (laughs) So, so, yeah, it was really hard uh, because I didn't realize how much of my identity was tied up in my job and what what my business card said. And now I didn't have a business card, so I didn't really know who I was anymore. And then people treated me in some ways like I was a non-person. So that 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 was a hard time. Also, none of my friends um, stayed home. They had their babies and went back to work. So I was kind of isolated. And, you know, babies come without user's manuals. And so it was just a really hard time (laughs) of just figuring out, like, how do you do this? How do you take care? What what does that cry mean? Like, I just fed them and changed them. What else could it be? So it was just um, a stressful time to figure all that out. Uh, plus the sleepless nights. Um, so I was kind of isolated. It was interesting but boring at the same time. Yeah. Because it was just me and the baby and the four walls every day. So it was, it was, uh, that was a tough t- transition. Um, but I started to meet people, you know, started going to mommy and me classes and I started to meet people. Mommy and me? That's cute. Yeah. Um, actually, some of those women I still know to this day. Really? Yeah. They go to resonate? Uh, no, just like high school or whatever. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, how many kids do you have? Four. Four. What, what's the spacing on that? Um, so they're 25, 23, 20, and 17. It's basically every two years here. Two, working. two years, one day, two years, nine months, three years, three months. Yeah. It's yeah. about right. And then, see, so, and you're going to FCC during that time? 
So when, when did you make the move to that church? Is it when you were... Uh, so Brian was about two. Um, yeah, so we had been at the SCIBC Fremont for about seven years. Um, so the kids were like two, five, and seven. Okay. And then we moved to FCC. It was uh, January Y2K. That was the year the world was supposed to end. Right. Don't I remember that. And we, then, <laughs> we missed it. <laughs> yeah. And then Rachel was born about a year and a half after that. Okay. Right on. So then here's, here's we're getting to big questions now. So when you look at your, your faith and motherhood, put those two together and, and just talk for a little bit about what, what being a mom of four has taught you about your creator it's a huge question yeah that is a huge question you can handle it i believe in you um yes i remembered all this difficult first year it was very challenging and first i grew a greater appreciation for my own parents <laughs> and um <laughs> and then second i began to see myself as that child who was rebellious or that child who was entitled or that child right. who was um, selfish and that child who um, didn't see the big picture but still demanded my way you know hmm. and yeah as my as my kids grew I could see more of myself um, as a child of God who was just as frustrating to me as I, I was probably frustrating to God yeah <laughs> if there is such a thing you disobedient twerp yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um what else I mean there's a lot there just I've, I've never been a mom personally so <laughs> I don't know anything about it um go into just some some of the like because I mean you're you're you came from the position of being raised in a, a church home and now you're doing the same thing. Like did that change the way that you mothered or yeah. taught your kids or talked like what conversations you had, stuff like that? Yes and no. Um, so growing up, I felt like at times my parents were more Chinese than they were Christian. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> I felt like some of the cultural things or some of the things that values that they held uh, were more Chinese than it was Christian. Okay. What and is that? Break that down because I, I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> so like the whole quest for an education to get financial security. Right. Right. Um, like I don't think I could have come home and said, I'm going to be a full-time missionary. I think they would have been disappointed, hmm. even though he was, my dad was a full-time, you know, yeah. essentially missionary. Um, I remember the day that I quit my job um, and I called my parents and I said, I just left my career and I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom forever <laughs> now. And they were uh. really disappointed. <laughs> yeah. They were really disappointed. Um, mm. I remember they were just upset. They're like, you, you put yourself through college, you got an education, you uh. paid it off and you're going to walk away from it all. And like, you know, how are you guys going to afford it? And right. um, don't you need a bigger car or a nicer car? 
you know, all these things, right? Mm. And at that moment, I was like, yeah, I thought you'd be proud of me because that's what you did. You stayed home and I saw the value of a stay-at-home mom and I valued those times where I didn't have to come home by myself mm. to an empty house. I always liked my mom being there. Um, and she was a great cook and she sewed all the time. So she, there was always something fun going on at home, something that smelled really good and tasted really good. And, and those are my, my fond childhood memories that I wanted yeah. to give to my kids. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, so it was kind of, um, yeah, I was kind of, I guess I was kind of disappointed when they didn't, right. uh, you know, approve that. So that's what I mean by that. In terms of how I parent, so coming from an Asian home, um, they're not really big on um, giving you um, affirmations or praise. Um, right. I feel like culturally, um, they think that that's going to make you lazy and proud because you think they you think that you've achieved. And so they never really like gave you that kind of encouragement. Hmm. So I felt like I was um, given a lot of criticism and a higher bar to reach for all of my life. Okay. So like I, I, ne I never did, you know, good enough, it, you know, like I didn't jump far enough or high enough or, you know, yeah. so I was always like shy of whatever mark I was supposed to hit. Right. So when I had kids, um, obviously that was one thing I was going to change. Yeah. Um, but you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so I found myself repeat, repeating much of what my parents did, but much, just in a nicer way. <laughs> you know, I still had expectations. Right. I just had a nicer way of showing my expectations. Interesting. What, what did that look like? So oh. inst instead of saying like, that was bad, you would say, you could do better. <laughs> I would be like... Um, yeah, oh, you know, that's great. That was good try that you did such and such on a math test, but do you know what you did wrong? Like, could yeah. you do better next time? Like, d did you learn from it? So basically it was the same thing. Just put it in a nicer way. Different message. Yeah. yeah. Or same message, different phrasing. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, your, your kids are grown now. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so... You've got one left in the house. Mm -hmm. Did you do the parent-teacher conference today? Is that I did. Is that today? Was your last one ever? Right. It was my last one ever. Because Rachel's a senior. Yeah. Oh Tw gosh. Twenty years of parent-teacher conferences. Twelve years at Washington High School. Wow. They like know you, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's you again, man. How many it's, kids do you? Have? It's mostly a social call right now. <laughs> right. Right. You, do you know all the teachers and stuff? I know have, a lot of them. Have your kids had the same teachers? A over time a few of them have yeah yeah a few teachers have been teachers for all four of them oh that's great yeah how fun for them yeah right? they uh -huh. taught the whole family yeah it's great yeah um are, are you what, what is the empty nest gonna look like like you've had four kids for 20 something years yeah and they're going you know it's kind of funny uh rachel's very independent and um She's introverted. She likes to be by herself. And so I feel like, yeah, I feel like our lives now is kind of like a transition towards, you know, not having the responsibility of right. being home watching kids. She drives, you know, she works. so She's, she's busy. She's busy. She's, yeah. she's very independent. And so she's very gracious to us. We have a lot of people over. We have a lot of meetings at our house. Yeah. And she's yeah. very patient and very gracious to us. Um, and then we, we go out to a lot of meetings together and, right. uh, she has, she gets stuck having a lot of leftovers. 
by herself. Well, I guess you're you're both transitioning each other yeah, then out right. of <laughs> the home. Right. Is, is she planning to go to college anywhere in particular? I haven't talked to her in a while. Yeah, so she's going to stay in California. Okay. Uh, most likely she'll end up in Southern California. I don't know. She's applying to a bunch of schools in Northern California and a bunch of schools in Southern California. Okay. Just whatever. She'll probably get into a few and have to pick and all that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the hope. That's the hope. Yeah, I guess that's always the hope. Um, to go into, like, what have been some of the more challenging things that have come your way that, that have had the greatest potential of shaking your faith. It's kind of what I want to get to. Okay. Let me see. Mm, there's just been a lot of things in my life. Um, there were quite a few defining moments or events um, that have happened. So I busted my knee and blew out my ACL the day I finished Bible school. Oh. So right before I went to college. Um, but back then, the surgery to, to repair an ACL was pretty extensive, and I couldn't do that and still start college. So I just got had a little minor surgery, had my meniscus fixed, and ended up living without 75% of my ACL oh. for a long time. Uh, so that was kind of a bummer because I've always been active, and yeah. um, uh, athletics is something that I've always been really interested in, but then... My family never had money. My parents never supported me, so I couldn't really get into any sports. Um, I I paid for my own ice skating lessons and my own ice skating time when I was in huh. high school. Yeah, and I dreamt to be an Olympian, but of course that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so when I busted my knee, um, that was like the death of a bunch of dreams. Yeah. Um, so. So did you just kind of live with it? I lived with it. I had, it for a while. I had a gigantic knee brace that I was supposed to wear every time I did sports, which I didn't. And so right. I just kept spraining my knee. I think I spent um, about 25% of my year in crutches between, between the ages of like 18 and 35. Dang. Yeah, I was, just, I was always messing my knee and up and I'd be on crutches for another wow. couple of weeks. Yeah. So in the process of all that, I really beat up the inside of my knee. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Not having a good knee has just been something that's been with me all of my life. Right. And there have been times where I was more frustrated than other times. Um, yeah, I guess had you asked me a few years ago, I would have said that was one of my greatest regrets of, of you know, yeah, doing something stupid and messing up my knee when I was 17. Did you ever go back and get it fixed yes. properly? Or? So... I had a couple of kids. We went to Tahoe one time, and um, one of my kids slipped in the snow, so I went to help them, and I slipped I slipped in the same patch, and I, I heard a snap, and the rest of my ACL oh. snapped. So I think I was like 35. I um, went to the doctor, and he's like, oh, you should have knee surgery and get your ACL repaired. And I'm like, why? You know, I've lived <laughs> with this for like 17, 18 years. I'll be oh. fine without it. He's like, no, your kids are going to be getting older. You're going to be getting more active. Um, you you should just do it. And I looked at him and I'm like, how do you do that with a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old? Yeah, because you have to lay around mm -hmm. for like weeks and weeks. Yeah, and 
he says, well, you know, go get some help. You should do it. You'll you'll appreciate it because your kids are going to get older, become more active, and you're not going to be able to do anything with them. Yeah, it only gets less convenient. Right. Uh. So um, I put the bullet, and I, I got my ACL repaired and sat around all summer. I ended up writing 60 thank you cards because that's how many people came by and helped me huh. with the kids. It, it was it's towards the end of the school year, so they still had to go and come and go to school. Um, yeah, so people brought meals, wow. they cleaned my house, did my laundry, did my yard work, helped me out. Not bad. No, and then poor <laughs> Michael would come back from work and bathe everybody, get everybody to bed, get dinner. So it was it was a long haul. What a guy. Man, how is it now? Um, so after that, Rachel was born, and then um, I started to run a lot, and I started to train for a marathon, wanted to do a marathon. Huh. And uh, in the process of that, something went wrong with my knee. So went back to the doctor, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong, so they did exploratory surgery. Turns out I had another torn meniscus, so he repaired that. Um, and uh, a year later, it was still not good. So went to see another doctor, got a second opinion, and they're like, your ACL graft failed. You have to keep, you get to get your ACL redone. Oh, great. So I did. <laughs> so <laughs> seven years after the first ACL was done, I went back and got my ACL Dude. repaired. Yeah. By then I had four kids who were a little older, but yeah. So four knee surgeries. And so that was just, yeah. So my knee has always been like um, my thorn in the side and it has always kept me from doing um, yeah. things that I want to do. You know, it's always been a mm. limit. That's been kind of hard. Um, yeah. I, it's just been one of the, the frustrating things in my life. Yeah. But it, it's kind of okay now or? Um, it's, it's not okay. I just know what not to do to, right. to mess it up. You've I, adapted. I, I live within the boundaries. Um, as I get older, the boundaries come in faster and faster. And so I'm just trying right. to, mentally, I'm trying to keep up with the boundaries that my body gives me. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the similar journey. With your back. Not, not as long, but yeah, in, in 2010, I, I blew up my lower spine. Yeah. So yeah, I had, you know, a whole bunch of cortisone shots yeah. and MRIs and a surgery and they trimmed a bunch of disc away. And, um, just enough to get me back mobile. Yeah. Right. But just shy of like fusing vertebrae together and, and just basically giving up on it. Yeah. <laughs> just giving you a fake spine right. pretty much. So, you know, and they, and they told me, be careful. Right. Because the next time you do this, mm -hmm. you're not going to have disc to trim away and you're hosed. Yeah. And I'm like, what? So since then, yeah, I've had to learn. Right. But the, and the, the tricky thing, though, is you have to push the boundary a little bit to stay functional otherwise the boundary keeps creeping in yes and that's going to happen anyway right because you get older and, but you don't want to help it along yeah but, but i'm always a line pusher yeah me too so i have to i have to find out right where it is and, and i'll go to the point of like uh, strains and i'll yeah. be walking funny for a few days and like uh, okay yeah. a year ago i did a big one right you remember that I it, do. Was, it was bad i dipped into the uh medication that i don't have anymore <laughs> in theory that was ugly yeah yeah right. um, you just have to be careful it is and i mean there's one body part i know that i have every single day and that's my right knee yeah because i always feel it <laughs> right 
Can you tell when earthquakes are coming? No. Like, <laughs> no? <laughs> I can tell when it's going to rain. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little stiff. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I think the whole process, you know, for knee surgeries, <clears throat> um, this is one of those things that God had to like slow me down because I'm, I'm just, I just go. I just go all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't like boundaries. I I think I'm invincible and I just keep going and pushing myself and all those uh, weeks, w- months lying on my back with my knee elevated and an ice bag on it. It's probably the image of my, if my kids would close their eyes, it would probably hmm. think of me like that because I spent a lot of my yeah. <laughs> years like that. And th- yeah, those times just taught me, um, yeah, just to d- depend on God and to find um, joy in the quiet and in the silence like i hated sunday mornings because all of my friends and my family would go to church and there was nobody i could call text email or anything so i did not like sunday mornings because i had i would have to be by myself stuck on a couch with an ice bag on my knee waiting till church is over Mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was a difficult time but i think it really taught me just to be still yeah but then i didn't learn it so i had to do it again then yeah. I'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you've learned it yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> really? Just from what I know. Yeah. There's not a lot of stillness in there. No. <laughs> um, what else? I know I know. there's more. Yes. Keep going. So I had knee surgery number three, the exploratory knee surgery in uh, the fall of 2006. And I got a little card in the mail that said, hey, it's time for your mammogram. Because I was over 40, I had had one already, and so I scheduled it for six weeks after knee surgery, so I knew I could actually walk from the car to the radiology department. (laughs) And um, so I I stuck it somewhere in the middle of November. Um, So I went to get my mammogram, and then they called me a week later, and they said, hey, you know, we see some calcification, could you repeat it? And I was thinking to myself, well, of course, I nursed all my kids, of course there's calcium, right? And so I went and repeated it, and um, before I even came in the door I heard my phone ringing inside and it was um, my doctor calling me telling me that they, they see something suspicious and they want me to be, to um, do a fine needle biopsy mm. um, so I did I did that and uh, right away they called me and they said it's, it's breast cancer so wow. this is December 1st of 2006 um, so yeah I ended up having a mastectomy a couple of weeks later and uh, didn't to, did not have to have radiation because there was nothing left to radiate, and I refused chemo. Wow! So yeah, you just went went for the nuclear option right out of the gate. Well, yeah, I mean they they told me I needed chemo, and I just kind of felt like it was an overkill. Right. And I didn't think that it was the right thing for me, or that I needed it. So I I just did a ton of research. Um, so. In January, my kids went back to school, and I just started just to research. So I sat and Googled uh, yeah. clinical journals of oncology. I could only understand the abstracts, so I would just <laughs> read the abstract. Right. And just, it was just one thing led to another, and it's had more and more questions. Um, and I just started doing a bunch of research and just decided that, you know, chemo was a little bit too much for me. Right. Yeah, I didn't really need it because um, it was early stage cancer. And uh, so in the process of all that, I found that they were doing some treatments um, to like put premenopausal women into menopause and then give them a postmenopause drug that was more effective than the other drug. Hmm. So I asked my doctor, hey, can you do that? Can we do that? He's like, uh, we don't do that in this country. I'm like, oh. well, that's an odd answer, right? 
So I just started to look around some more and actually found a clinical trial that asks that very question, like what happens to um, a premenopausal woman who gets put into menopause and gets given this new drug, this other drug that's for right. post-menopause women. And so I signed up for it. Huh. And uh, so I was ready for them to, you know, put me into menopause and then give me this drug and wow. see what happened. And they had three different groups. One was that, and the other group was um, menopause and the pre-menopause dr drug that they usually gave people. And the control group was just tamoxifen, the, the drug that they gave people. Okay. So I was randomized into the control group. So I didn't get to try anything new. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Come on. We worked hard for that. <laughs> yeah, but I was kind of glad too because I really didn't want to go into menopause because there's all sorts of issues related to that. Early menopause has a lot of problems. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Any, anytime you mess with hormones, right. it's just, yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, so it was God. God just sovereignly put me in that group. He, you know, I still get to be part of the clinical trial and I still get to um, help uh, find answers for future women yeah. um, in, my, in my situation. Um, so along that process, um, I, uh, I was working as a marketing sales consultant from home and I had a client um, who actually does gene testing uh, to determine whether uh, people need chemo or not or what kind of post-cancer um, treatments they need. And so I, I uh, ended up being one of their patient ambassadors. Huh. And so um, recently a study has come out that about 70% of the women who uh, have early stage cancer did not need chemo. And I actually fell, based on their test, they gave oh. me a score, right? And I, my score was within that. And so I was glad that I wow. didn't get chemo because I didn't need it. So there's a lot of people that have gone through chemo that might not have yes. needed to, yes. basically. Mm -hmm. well, so that was a huge study. It's called a Taylor, Taylor X study. Wow. It just came out recently, like less than half a year ago. That's a significant it is. deal. Yeah. So Oncotype DX is the um, gene test yeah. that they, you know, they take your pathology slide and they test it and tell wow. you what your score is. And if it's a low score, then you don't need chemo. If it's a high score, then you do need chemo. Interesting. So, yeah. So what, what else do you do as a patient ambassador? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um... I'm all over their website. My stories on their website. Uh, they invite me to come speak to their employees from time to time. What's that website called? Uh, or what's the you, I think one of them is mytreatmentdecisions.com. dot com. I'm gonna look it up right now. Okay. Uh, Genomic Health is the name of the company, and then if you look at patient stories, you can find me that on there as well. So yeah. Uh, yeah, from time to time, she'll just tell me, hey, you know, we're having a Susan Komen race in uh, Central Park in New York, and your picture is as a mosaic. It's a big picture that, that we put up on the billboard. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, You're okay. famous. Yeah. So, and then she'll be like, okay, you're, you're, <laughs> here's a flyer that we have your picture on um, for Uncle Type DX in Taiwan. And wow. So that she'll, give, she'll show me the brochure. Wow. So, so everyone in Taiwan, like if you go there... <laughs> Like, well, <laughs> if you go to an oncologist's office, you'll you'll okay. get it. Okay, <laughs> just it's a select yeah. uh, breast cancer fan, patients, fan yeah. base. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um. Anyway, so I had breast cancer uh, December of two thousand six, <clears throat> and then, um, yeah. So that that was just a, a amazing 
spiritual journey for me. Yeah, um, how so? So all of my life, I've known that I'm loved by God, but I didn't really feel it. I don't know if I, I, huh. I can't describe it any other way. Um, but when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and was waiting for surgery and after I, after I had surgery, um, yeah. like people just came out of the woodwork. Huh. People hadn't seen or talked to in over a decade roommates and things would just show up in my door with a casserole or with a gift or with some flowers <laughs> or with something casserole um, sweet <laughs> i i think i owned everything that had a pink ribbon on it that was oh, out gosh. in the market at that time yeah yeah um and it was just like god's way of just telling me that i'm here i love you um and i'm gonna show you by all these people mm. they came they served the family they brought meals took care of my kids um they prayed for me they wrote me notes i got so much I got a lot of fan mail. It was just amazing. Wow. Like um, how much, um, yeah, I, I experienced God's love during that whole process. Yeah. Um, and just even the way like he stepped me um, through the decision not to get chemo. And yeah, that was pretty significant because my whole medical community was mad at me because they're like, right. you're young, your kids are young. If this thing comes back, you're done. Yeah. They, they can't cure you. This is the only chance you get to have a cure um, and you're passing it up and that's not a good decision, you know, but I was like, no, I feel at peace about it and I'm just going to go with this and, you know, live every day like it's my last day. So I just got new perspective. Um, it was December. So right before Christmas, we had just put up the Christmas tree that year. And uh, before I had the surgery, you, you don't know how bad it is. Yeah. And so I just kept wondering, wow, is this my last Christmas? Is this it? Oh. You know, <laughs> like, are my kids going to um, grow up without a mom? Yeah, you know? and so those couple of weeks you, you're waiting for the surgery because they don't know until you get they get in there and yeah look and take things oh, out yeah. right? you're not even sleeping probably for that whole no i wasn't what was michael doing um he's probably a wreck he he was but he was trying to be supportive of me so he would never say how bad he felt right um, right but through that also another blessing in disguise um because i wasn't sleeping nights um i realized that he had sleep apnea he would hold his breath at night huh. and I'd be like, wow, he's holding his breath a long time. <laughs> you poke him. So I poke you, him and then, <laughs> and then I'm like, why don't you just go get his checked out? And sure enough, he had sleep apnea. So huh. yeah. So he's been sleeping well since then. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, silver lining there. Yeah. Hey, so breast cancer yeah, and yeah, yeah. sleep apnea. <laughs> yeah. Fix, fix the sleep apnea. Um, so yeah. And like the night before <clears throat> my um, mastectomy, I was really scared. Yeah. Um, I remember going to bed and just like begging God, okay, you know what? If you come back tonight, we could be all done. <coughs> um, bless you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I was like, okay, if you come back tonight, then I don't have to wake up from the surgery. And that would just oh, be man. so awesome. I'm like, actually, it doesn't have to be tonight. I could be like on the operating table and you can come back in the middle of it. I just don't <laughs> want to, I just don't want to wake up from the surgery. Oh man. You know, and I was just like, um, man, man, I just really don't want to do this. And what was the fear? Losing a, losing a body part and life after that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's um, reasonable. Yeah. Okay. Um, or even like not knowing the extent of my cancer. Uh, right. Cause you, you have absolutely no clue until they have surgery. Yeah. So, um, I just remember like it was getting towards like, I don't know, two or three or four in the morning and I'm like, Oh, I got to get some sleep because this is, this is it. Right. And I just, my, my, my lying thought 
as I was lying there was almost like God speaking to me and, and um, like Jesus speaking to me saying, um, you have to go through this to save your life. But um, I went through the cross to save everyone's lives. You know, and at that moment, it was yeah. just, yeah, at that moment, it was just like, wow, I understand. I like, I understand what he went through because of the dread that I was feeling at the time. Wow. You know, because he was fully human, even though he was God, right? Yeah. I mean, he knew how things were going to turn out, but he still had to go through it, right? Yeah. He had a pretty sleepless night, too. Yeah. Before his death, right. right? Yeah. And his friends were falling asleep on him. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that was like a defining moment in my faith walk to be able to realize, um, like, what Jesus did for me. Wow. Say that line again. The line, <laughs> which one? <laughs> that I realized that Jesus um, yeah. said that I had to go through that just to save my life. Yep. But he had to go through that to save everyone's lives, the whole world's lives. Dang. That should be on a t-shirt <laughs> or a bumper sticker or something. Yeah. So my wow. breast cancer journey was, um, yeah, it was a defining moment in my spiritual walk, right? I, I understood God's love. I felt God's love. Like tangible. That's amazing. Yeah. Through something like that. Right. That that just like the the whole scripture about you know it, God promises to work all things together for the good for those who love Him and are called to His purpose. Like, yeah, He actually does. Even even something like that, you know, a, a, a situation like cancer, or, you know, that's like one of the worst things that could happen, right? I mean, aside from from someone that you love. Yeah. Going through something like that. Like you going through, like what else can you go through as a person that's like more more of an interruption for your life? I, I think of like, it's on the level of like prisoner of war. Right. Or something like that. It's yeah. like. It's like facing death. Yeah. You're never yeah. the same mm -hmm. after having gone right. through that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And through that, you know Christ better and you understand his love for you. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah. How's that possible? Right. So then I actually, after that, um, I just like prayed and thanked him for dying for me and fell asleep. Wow. And then got up the next morning and went to the hospital. Let's go. Yeah. So what, what was the recovery like from that? Or um, how did that all work out? You know, I feel bad that it was um, so insignificant. <laughs> you know, um, what? like <laughs> knee surgery was a million times worse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Than recovering from breast cancer surgery, right? Because um, it was, you know, they removed a non-functional part of my body. Yeah, you don't walk on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and the pain was was not bad, because when you have knee surgery, they they drill, you know, screws into your bone, and oh, yeah. it, it hurts like crazy. Yeah, it's not it's not a soft tissue thing. It's mm -mm. all mm, all right. tissues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so. The recovery wasn't really bad. Um, I had a lot of support. I felt really loved. Um, I was really relieved it was over. Yeah. And now, it, now is a waiting game while they do the pathology study, right? So, right. Um, yeah, it wasn't bad. A couple of weeks after we, I had uh, the surgery. We ended up taking a road trip down to San Diego. San Diego. It was the kids' spring break. I mean, Christmas break, and so we just kind of. Left town, got away from everything pink ribbon in my house, and just got to just kind of, you know, yeah. get get away and get it's a, over. Mm -hmm. 
So is, has there been follow-up since then? Have you had to get, like, are, are you more cautious about that? Or what's the likelihood of you having to deal with this again? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a funny thing. Uh, every year I see, because I was a part of the clinical trial, I had to go see my oncologist twice a year for the first five years. Okay. And every time he would ask me, um, so are you doing your monthly breast exams? And I'm like, No. Because <laughs> cancer is not on my radar. Yeah. I don't think about it, you I know. Got, I got bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. It, um, so, uh, yeah. So I just get screened now just once a year. I was on tamoxifen. I ended up being, I was randomized to tamoxifen, which is the standard okay. practice that they give for people who are like me. And I did that for five years. And then after five years, uh, I came off of it. And then the doctor found a, they had a new study that came out that said it would be better for us to be on it for 10 years. So I went on it for five more years. And so hmm. uh, my, my 10 years finished about eight, nine months ago. Yeah. So I'm not taking a little white pill anymore for the first time in 10 years. Wow. And you're clear of everything. Yep. You're not worried about no. uh, what, what's the word when you get it back? Uh, Metastasis or... Yeah, re recurring cancer. Recurrent, yeah, yeah I guess mm -hmm. recurrence, yeah, but okay. Yeah, um, no, you know, because as I was saying earlier, um, my perspective changed. It was like December, and I was like, bef the, bef the day before I was diagnosed with cancer, I was like, oh, we got to get right the, the right ornament, we got to write the right gifts, we have to decorate right. our house the right way, and bake the right cookies, and like everything <laughs> had to be perfect, and... Then the diagnosis came, and it was like, wow, that's just so insignificant. Yeah. You know? Christmas tree ornaments, wow. You know? Um, huh. And, um, yeah, my perspective changed. Like, I I was like, you never know what tomorrow holds anymore. Right. And so I started to live every day like it was my last day, you know? And I still think about that every day. Uh, most days I wake up, and I just thank God for a breath in my lungs and that all my body parts work today. Huh. Um, and I don't take a day for granted because there's been plenty of days when some body parts didn't work or, you know, right. um, or I was going to have some removed. Um, and yeah, so my perspective has really changed. Um, like I, I don't go to bed regretting anything as much as I can. Hmm. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm so busy because I'm like, I got to get it all done because I might not have tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. That, that doesn't make sense now. Yeah. You're busy for a different reason. Yeah. But yeah. the other thing that breast cancer gave me was um, a platform to be able to talk to people about Christ. Yeah, right? oh, that's right. Yeah, because you said you, you, just like last week, you went right. and talked to a group uh, of doctors, right? Uh, uh, they were lawyers that work for this company that, that does this gene testing, yeah. Um, what do they want you to talk about? Just give them my story. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the primary, the, I started with saying, you know, thank you for what you do. Yeah. Because it might just seem like a job to you. Um but I'm living proof of what you do really counts, you know, yeah. and what you helped me make the hardest decision of my life. The information that you guys give me allowed me to uh, skip chemo, you know, right. and uh, and that was a good choice for me, you know. I mean, 12 years later, I'm still here. I don't know if I'll be here tomorrow, but, right. <laughs> you know. The odds are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll and I told them, you know, um, I know that God has numbered my days, and all the chemo I do or don't do isn't going to change that date, huh. you know? And yeah. so I'm just living every day to what he calls me to do, um, live it to the fullest, and, you know, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Mm. You know, that's, um, I was just, I was talking about that today too, that same concept that there's a, 
certain urgency mm -hmm. that it seems like everybody lives by. And, and it's just what you're urgent about. Yeah. Right. Because there's, you know, I, I spend a lot of time around folks who are just very urgently pursuing whatever uh, earthly thing. Like, oh, I, I need to experience everything I can before I die because that's it. Or I need to buy this thing and that thing and that thing. And once I have all this stuff, then I'm good. You know, and, and there's like a there's like a panic yeah. when age starts to set in. Right. Because you're like, oh, no. Like, I'm almost to the end. What am I going to do? I haven't done enough. I should have started doing this sooner. And, and it's very sad. Yeah. Almost. It's, it's never enough. It's exhausting. It's never enough. Yeah. But then when you have... When you have the mission yeah. of of establishing the kingdom of God in front of you, and you're like, holy cow, like I get to do this. Okay, like I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to stay up late. Yeah. I'm going to do everything I can. I'll burn this candle at both ends every day. Like, let's go. Yeah. Because you're, you're building something eternal, right. you know, and you get to see the echoes of what you do forever, you know. I'm only getting closer to seeing that. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, it's over. Darn, I died. I wish I'd done more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I may stay, I'll probably say that still. <laughs> I wish I could have lived longer so I could do more, but. Yeah, uh, no, I can't think of anything else I'd rather be spending my, my time and my life doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, back to the platform I was talking about. Right. I was able to go to my friends and say, you know, because I was quote-unquote facing death right I could ask <laughs> them hey so like I know where I'm going when I die how about you, you yeah know? so I was able to just have a lot of good conversations spiritual conversations with my friends wow. um, yeah so breast cancer was just an amazing gift um, from God to me <laughs> on many levels um, it's yeah it's amazing just, that you would even say those words <laughs> like that just baffles the world you know that that's even possible yeah, but it was just like just so much grace in that and um, relationship with my kids. Um, so you know, as a parent, you had you had asked earlier, like, what's it like being a parent, right? Like, yeah. my greatest desire as a mom would be to raise kids who would go to Jesus, yeah. right? Like, skip me, go directly to Jesus, like, because I'm not going to be around forever, right? Yeah. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, that was a real thing you know that yeah. i may not be here next year you know so like my heart's desire has always been for my kids to um go to jesus and find him to be um the the fulfillment for everything and their answer for everything you know yeah. the comfort the guidance the god that yeah. you know i want them to have right and so um one of my kids had a really hard time with the news of the breast cancer um and like she couldn't talk about the c word we couldn't talk about doctor we couldn't talk about being sick because right. she just would break down and cry yeah she's a very sensitive um spirit and um so for a couple of weeks before the surgery we just try to avoid that conversation whenever she was around right, right. um and then one day she came back from school like i think it was a day or two before my surgery and she said um i told everybody and I, and I was like, told everybody what? She goes, the news. And I'm like, what news? There's been no news <laughs> around here, right? Because to me, it was like old news by now, right? Yeah. It had been a couple of weeks. Um, she goes, well, I told everybody you had cancer. And I was like, oh, you said the C word, you know? And I'm like, uh. okay, like sit down, talk, tell me like what, what's going on? Like what happened? And she goes, well, 
you know, I kept praying and I was really scared and God just, um, I was reading the Bible and she just reassured me that he would take care of you. He would take care of me mm. and I don't have to be scared. And it was just one of those moments as a mom that you're like, yes, that's what you want to hear. Bullseye. Yeah. yeah. You know? wow. Like if something happens to me, um, she's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, so that, that was one of those awesome moments I'll always remember. Uh, another blessing that came out of something ugly. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. It was neat. It was a gift. Well, that was a big one. Um, <laughs> any other trials you want to get into? <laughs> what else you got on your mind? I don't know if I can handle another one. <laughs> Stubbed my toe the other day. <laughs> Man. Um, you work for a church. I do. For the same church you work for. I know. Oh, <laughs> funny how that worked out. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. Because you, you've been there... You've been working there just a little bit longer than I have, so I don't I don't know your like coming to resonate story. That's yeah, interesting. Um, so this so it was six Christmases ago. This this coming Christmas will be our sixth sixth year here. Okay. Um, we had been um, concerned about our younger two kids who are going into junior high and high school and just kind of disconnected from church. Yeah. Um, they weren't loving the youth group they were at. Um, and I just didn't see them have like a spiritual connection, you know. Huh. And so it was, we were concerned because um, Brian was getting into high school and we're like, man, you know, if we don't get him connected to, um, in, in his faith, then we might lose him, right? Mm -hmm. And so we started to look around for different churches that had youth groups and visited a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And in the meantime, we were still, you know, working with our church at the time and, um, just didn't feel like it was going in a direction that would meet our, our kids where they were at. Right. So along the way, we had visited Resonate many times, um, both when they first launched at the um, Forest Park School yeah. and then Fremont Adult School. Okay. And um, we decided after visiting it multiple times that, you know, we kind of like this place. Yeah. And we were going to get our kids connected in youth group whether they wanted to or not. So. <laughs> this is where the car stops, the doors <laughs> open, get out. Yeah. So um, it's Christmas Sunday, uh, six years ago, we came to church and it was like our first time. I, I sat there and I actually filled out the connect card and gave them my email and my phone number, name of my kids and all that and address yeah. and all that information, even though we had visited multiple times. Right. Um, yeah, and every week we would walk away just blown away by um, by church. You know, yeah. like the worship time was just amazing and then um, the sermon just blew us blew our minds because every week we'd be like I've never heard that before I've uh -huh. never heard I've never heard that passage preached this way before and like every week I'd be like I just heard the gospel for the first time in my life kind of thing like every uh -huh. week we were just blown away like I would walk away with a much bigger view of God and a much more clearer view of me and my yeah. need for God yeah you know and every single week it was just like crazy um so the next month they had MC um, Expo, so we joined an MC. Right. We'd been here like four weeks, and uh, did you do a couples? Yeah. Uh -huh. You and Michael. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, Ken and Georgia Ewing's group. Okay. 
so actually, we had they're cool. Yeah, we hadn't even been here been here a month. I think it was like three Sundays, and we were joining MC, and people nice. were like, "Oh, how long have you been to Resonate?" We'd be like three weeks. We they're just like, got wow. here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so we met a bunch of people who are who are, we're still very good friends with to this day. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we just started started to learn, and it was just like this awakening in my heart um, to to the gospel and. Most of my life, because you know, I was a I was a pastor's kid and um, was a church all my life, having to be good. I was just I just spent a whole lot of my life, the majority of my life, just striving to be good. Yeah. Uh, to behave well, to look well. I even brought up my kids that way. Like I think I focused um, ninety nine percent on behavior modification in my kids. Right. Instead of shepherding their hearts. Um, hmm. So. Yeah, it was just like an amazing experience. And about, oh, I would say eight or nine months um, after we had gotten here, um, you know, I started looking around for ways to serve. Right. And so ended up talking to uh, Grace and Pastor Scott and found out that, you know, I could serve in the uh, production worship ministry area because that's where my experience had been from the other church. Right. So that's kind of how I started to serve there. Okay. Um, not long after that, um, Resonate was going to move to American High School. Yeah. And so they bought a boatload of stuff from Portable Church. <laughs> and, and I remember Scott asking me one day, he's like, hey, so like, could you like help us create a system for like all of this stuff that we're going to be getting? Yeah. And I'm like, sure. I had no idea what he was saying or asking. I don't think he did either. No. <laughs> so I said, sure. And so uh, we moved to American High School. Right. And we had like 66 black carts with no names and labels oh. on it. And <laughs> everything was taken out of them. And we had to put them all in. And nobody knew where anything went or came out of. Or, oh, man. You know. I, I could not imagine it was, designing that system. It was yeah. just sheer chaos for a while. So... For I, people who aren't familiar with Portable Church, this is a ridiculous Portable Church. <laughs> this is like, even the Portable Church people are like, you guys are nuts. <laughs> this and, isn't going to work. <laughs> and I've never been part of a Portable Church in my life. Yeah. I've been a church, part of church all my life, but they always had buildings, you know. Right. So this is all new to me. But it was kind of fun. It's kind of up my alley. Um, yeah. I like taking... Uh, chaos and organizing into something and right. creating systems so i'm like sure so i was working um i had my own business i was running from home yeah and so i had flexibility so i started to spend more and more time at the office you know laminating things and <laughs> <laughs> printing things pink pieces of paper yeah. with velcro on the back of right, them for right. fuzzy carts <laughs> yeah so um yeah and after a while um you know, we finally settled into the portable church system and uh, just helping out with the different services. And then um, one day, Pastor Ryan called me and um, said, hey, you know, would you like to join us on staff? And um, the funny thing is, not funny, but God moment, that morning I had been reading um, the passage in Luke where uh, Jesus called um, Peter and Andrew and James and John to come follow him, mm. right? And so Peter and Andrew go, and then James and John fishing with their dad jesus calls them to come follow me become fishers of men and they're like okay so they leave their dad the business and yeah. they come follow jesus and i said to myself who would do that that's just like crazy to like leave you your, leave, your, leave your job and leave your family and and, yeah. and follow jesus like you know that's crazy right? right it is crazy yeah so that i read that that morning and 
just sat on it for a while and pondered it. And um, then, then that afternoon was when Ryan called me. But I didn't quite make the connection right away. Yeah, a couple funny. of days later, I kind of went back and go, oh. It's funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was a hard decision because I had always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and have all my kids be grown before I went back went back to work. And this yeah. is why I ran my business from home for like eight or nine years. Right. Because we needed to put the kids through college. I needed to make money somehow, and I found a great way to do that at home, and that was great. What was that business? Just as a um, yeah, so aside for a second. I was a sales and marketing consultant, and um, okay. I was working with a couple of companies. I was consulting with a couple of companies who sold promotional products. Okay. So um, they just basically put logos on things, company logos on things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just kind of did the... Uh, Front end, back end, customer service, quoting jobs, uh, quality control, um, yep. sales, accounting, accounting yep. accounts payable, accounts receivable. I just did everything. It so, was, yeah. So it's a smooth transition to what you do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's almost the same things. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So then, um, yeah, prayed about uh, joining the staff and yeah, it took a few weeks before uh, we could get the whole family on the same page. Yeah. Uh, and my kids, I remember my kids telling me, I'm like, okay, it's like, what do you guys think? I want to know your honest opinion. And um, they looked at me and they said, um, it'll be really good for the church and it'll be really good for you. It may not be so good for us, but we think you should do it. Mm. So they were in. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. And uh, that was f- four years ago, um, something like February that. February 2015. So three and a half ish years yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the there's the whole month thing again. I don't remember what month I came on staff. I have no idea. I, it doesn't make sense to me. I can't. <laughs> I just tell people it's been something like three years. I don't know. You were interning <laughs> for a while. Yeah. I, I don't so. even know when that was. It, the whole thing is a blur to me. Um. So since then, you, uh, you kind of do a lot. Like, I, just, I just do a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything, yeah. <laughs> which amounts to a lot. But I remember, like, I would, there was always, like, anytime you would ask somebody, hey, uh, hey, who can I talk to about this? It would either be, oh, talk to Grace or talk to Angela. Nobody ever said anyone else. <laughs> like, once in a while, Vanessa would come up for, like, a connections thing. But I was like, yeah, uh I, you know, I don't really know. Talk to Angela. Like, <laughs> at least she would know who knows. <laughs> right? And then, and then I'd be like, "Go talk to Grace." <laughs> right? Yeah, talk to Grace. <laughs> um, and then, so I, I want to hear about the eighteen twenty-two. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, because I I remember talking to you and you were like, uh, like cooking that, mm-hmm. and it was a it was like a burden in your mind, yeah. you know, and it had to come out. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. You know, and that burden grew from multifacets as well, right? So the best years of my life were my college years. Mm. I loved college. Um, You know, for various reasons, I I got to get away from my family of origin. Um, I was no longer the pastor's kid. Yeah. Nobody knew me. I was anonymous. It was great. Yeah. Um, And I just just really enjoyed being away from home. I enjoyed uh, learning. I enjoyed um, the independence. I enjoyed meeting people and leading people. And I found out that, um, like, I was a a leader just, you know, not because of my name. Yeah. You know, and so that was kind of a beginning of a lot of things for me, just learning and um, growing. Um, 
So I have really, very fond memories of my college years. I have great friends uh, during those years. Um, And then as I, as we got older and our friends, kids were getting older, it was just really sad to hear each one of them watch their kids walk out of church in the college years and not come back. And so, you know, we felt their burden, even though our kids weren't quite there yet. Um, so just being able, just watching many of our friends, uh, like, see their kids walk out of church. Yeah. Um, and around that time, I was kind of uh, listening to a lot of just, like, you know, parenting things on, like, how to make faith stick to your kids, you know. Right, and right. reading the statistics about how, um, like, 50% of the kids... Um, Actually, I think it might be even be three out of four kids now. They go to they grow up in Christian homes just like mine. You know, the kids uh. went to BFF and Awana. They went to Sunday school, um, went to church every single Sunday, uh, went to youth group, and then they get to college and they shed their faith like it's a coat. Yeah, like it's not even part of them. They graduate know? from yeah faith mm-hmm. along with high school. Right, and yeah. so those statistics really scared us. Um, huh. So that was kind of like when the burden started to, you know, be more urgent, right? Mm. To see our friends' kids walk out. And then I would walk around, resonate, and watch like AMP kids graduate from high school. And then after a while, you wouldn't see them anymore. Yeah. Or you'd see them by themselves. Um, And so, yeah, I started to like just write down names of people that I knew who were in college, college age. And I came up with this gigantic list of, I think, somewhere... 25 to 30 kids yeah but they weren't they weren't connected to the church you're like oh no i'm like that's a lot of kids we gotta do it yeah and then to see like my kids come back from college and have no place right right um but they had college and their community there so they would just go back to college and be fine um but then for the ones for the people who i knew were going to college here there was just nothing you know so Mm. anyway so that was kind of like the beginning of all that and then when, I think it was two years ago, um, Pastor Scott, uh, who's my boss, uh, said, okay, you know, we need to make goals for this year. And so uh, do two SMART goals, uh, which is um, specific, measurable, has like a, a, a t- like activity connected to it, uh, relevant, yeah. and then time, there's a time to it. Right, smart. Smart. <laughs> and then he said, <laughs> and he said, just for kicks, um, do a dumb goal. Right. And a dumb goal is like throw the ball as far as you can, and see where it lands. If um, money, resources, time uh, was not a, an issue, yeah, what would you do? Yeah. Um, so I had more fun with my dumb goal than my smart goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just dreamt up this like, what would it look like if we had a college age group? Right. Um, like, what could we do? Like, we could talk about all the things that are relevant to, to them in this culture um, that has a biblical worldview, right. right, versus the cultural view that is so strong these days, and also had a gospel lens, because I didn't grow up with a gospel lens. Um, hmm. And that would have changed the course of my life had I known the gospel earlier in my life, yeah. even though I've been in church all my life. Um, and so, like, you know, a lot of the cultural issues were just not discussed up from the pulpit just because it wasn't a single conversation type thing. It was, right. you know, complicated. Um, and the culture speaks speaks so loudly. And I was like, mm. no, we have to stand up and have a voice to counteract the loud cultural voice, right? And so this would be a great place. Um, 
And it, like in my mind, I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be cool if like church planters um, would be born out of this college age? Because they're in a time in their lives where it's a blank slate, right? Yeah. They go to college and they Potential. think they're going to like major in this thing. Um, and like, wouldn't it be cool to have them go to college, learn the skill really well that, you know, they feel like they want to pursue or God has given them and um, help them to figure out the reason for why God created them, hmm. you know, so to be able to, to do really, really well in what you're good at and then to be able to take that and do something for God, you know, to plant a church or to like, be world changers, you know, so uh, I just had these big visions of them because then they could move anywhere and do anything because they're not connected to family hmm. or, you know, like they have the freedom to get a job anywhere they want. So anyway, um, yeah, so that was kind of like the vision and so... That's the dumb goal. Yeah, it was my dumb goal. <laughs> created a little plan, <laughs> wrote it up, and then Ryan was like, do you want money? I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to feed them every uh, meeting because we really believe, I really believe um, that discipleship you know, begins with friendship. Yeah. Like friendships begin over a meal, right? Relationship. So, mm -hmm. yep. so we thought, okay, we'll provide a meal and we'll just build relationships and then we'll talk about things that are culturally relevant from a biblical worldview with the gospel lens. And that's what we're going to do. So we did. And that's what you did. That was last summer. And it's still going. Yeah. And we met at my house. We opened yeah. our house every Friday night. We met right. at my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ra Rachel and Michael would <laughs> put up with it. <laughs> well, Michael was part of the group, the, the leadership right. too. Right. Rachel would put up with it. Yes. She'd put up with it. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's, it's actually grown i mean during the summer obviously it swells right mm -hmm. and then it's still meeting it's every other week friday nights yeah we meet the first and third fridays of the month yeah um it, it's it's grown to the point now we actually have a staff person yeah who's been hired to be like that ministry person like, yeah that's crazy it is crazy. yeah we're really excited and grateful for that yeah how do you how what's your involvement going to be from this point so um we have a primary leader uh, dub k yeah and then uh there are currently four adult leaders including him okay so i'm michael and i are part of the adult leadership team right under dub k yeah it's awesome and then so that then uh matt knight what, how does he fit into that whole thing? So I'm not sure. he... I should talk to him. I sit across from him, yeah. but I haven't bugged his... Yeah. So he oversees the Prime, Prime, which is the young adult ministry, as well yeah. as the 1822 to college age. So he right. oversees both of them. But the goal is that they would sort of self-sustain, and he would be a, a like a supportive presence, or is he like, I'm Matt, I'm in charge, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. I don't think he knows. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's such a new thing. Like, you know, we had to create so many systems uh, besides coming up with a clearer vision. Uh, we had to create a little system to like, how are we going to bring in um, student leaders? Right. And how are we going to hmm. like put them through the process of figuring out whether they should or shouldn't be and then adult leaders. Right. So we're still creating those processes right now. Um, and we're trying them out on different people yeah. as they come into leadership. So we have a lot of guinea pigs. Um, and, uh, yeah, even, yeah, like, at what point do we transition 
we transition people <laughs> towards um, Prime. Don't so, hit the mic. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so we try to get some joint meetings between Prime and 1822 so that yeah. the transition is easy for when someone oh, graduates. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's smart. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to figure out. It's it's a clean slate, so we're just trying to yeah. figure out how it all works. You kind of make it up as you go. Yeah, we right? are I mean, to totally making it up as we go. That's fun. I'm that way, too. Except I'm in I'm in things that I should not do that with. <laughs> <laughs> Stop making things up. Talk to us first. Yeah, the, the the onboarding discussion has been one that we've been going through too with the children's ministry. Mm-hmm. Is like, man, it it seems like a lot of times we're just like, hey, uh, you're breathing. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> Like, we need somebody. Because like, you always get people, oh, this person moved away, or that person, oh, they can't serve anymore, or, you know, this one, for whatever reason, people kind of filter off. So you're always just, you feel like you're just plugging holes. Yeah. And, you know, it, a cycle begins where you bring somebody in that says, oh, this person's really capable, they can do it. So you plug them in, you're like, all right, they're good. Go, 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 go. And then, you know, like, like what you're talking about, you burn them out. Yeah. Or they feel unsupported, like they... The whole time they felt like I didn't really know what I was doing and you didn't help me figure right. it out. Yeah. And I'm like, oh gosh, I thought you were a rock star. Like, I'm sorry. And so we're going through that too. Yeah. Like, what are the, what do people need to know that they're not going to ask you for, but they're going to be upset you didn't tell them about? And then that's a scary question. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're not going to tell you about it. So you have to mess it up a bunch of times and then maybe finally you'll get it. Yeah. And I, we're still at the stage where we don't know what they need to know. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, but that definitely leadership development was something that I had um, in mind. Like, I definitely wanted this to be a leadership development opportunity yeah. for anybody who wanted to or we saw potential in. Yeah. Well, I think it has been so far mm-hmm. from what I've seen. Yeah. It's, it's working. I mean, my dream is for um, <clears throat> these uh, members to, if they don't stay at Resonate, to go into a different local church right? Yeah. and be leaders and... Um, disciplers yeah just take the skills that they learn the kingdom is bigger than one mm-hmm. church yeah mm-hmm. yeah we're not trying to hoard people mm-hmm. but they, we do want to we do want them to boot to understand that the local church is um like god's god's church you know yeah that it's important to be part of one to right. be members not be not to be consumers yeah yeah so what's what's next what are you what are you learning right now what are you looking forward to? What what is the what are the biggest like things going on in your head these days? Yeah, so what I'm learning now is how much I don't know. Huh. Um and what I'm learning now is how much I don't know about uh Jesus and how much I don't know about me. Huh. So all my life I've just I just know that I've always had this prayer of um Help me not to be so prideful. Like I have a lot of pride, and I, I see it, right? And yeah. like, make me more humble. That's just been one of those constant prayers in my life that I've had all of my life. And um, so I'm beginning to learn in this season as I'm like spending more time, like really hungry to open up the Bible. Um, and uh, so I, I'm like learning so much about who Jesus is. Yeah. And um. Like, the more I see him, the more that humbles me. Because to see who he is is mind-boggling to start. Like, like this amazing God who created everything. 
loves me, sees me to be significant enough to save me. You know, yeah. the amount of grace that he gives me. Um, yeah, it just blows me away. Like the righteousness that I have is given to me because he had to kill his son for me to get that. You know, it's like radical. I should be like me in my sinfulness to be get close to God. I should just be immediately evaporated. Yeah, that's what that's what should happen to me because God is God <laughs> and he's holy. Right. Yeah. And yet he would send his son to like shield me from being evaporated and, and if more than that to like invite me to have a relationship with him yeah you know it's just yeah. crazy so i'm just being really humbled um yeah by by who he is and then recognizing yeah how sinful i am just even if i'm conscious about my thoughts for 30 seconds i could say tally how many yeah. sinful things came yeah. through my head right and i never recognized that before that blows me away mm-hmm. i always think of it like um when when you when you picture it from christ's perspective and you think about it, him on the cross being god yeah knowing what god knows you know he, he could read minds just you know he had all the powers of the creator you know but fully man mm-hmm and and he he hangs there willingly yeah and says it's finished i'm paying it you know and it's not like he it's not like there's just like a blank check right that that we just toss our sins back in time and it goes into the jesus right. can you know <laughs> that, that's not really how it worked mm-hmm. like he had full knowledge mm-hmm. of every sin that he was taking on more in fact he has a greater knowledge of my sin than I do. Because there's sin I forgot. Yeah. You know, I don't even know everything I've done wrong. I right. can't, there's no way I could measure, you know, yeah. I'm 36 years old. I don't know how, how many per minute or, you know, <laughs> do the math, right? <laughs> yeah. But then he knows the ones I haven't done yet. Yeah. And they're all there. Yeah. And while, while that's sitting in front of his face, he says, it's finished. Yeah. I'll pay it for you. Right. Like, that's crazy radical yeah and, when, and what did we do to earn it like, yeah nothing and one of the earlier um truths that i learned um, about the gospel was um that when god looks at me he sees jesus's perfection yeah like he doesn't see me the angela who's messed up and all that right, right. and even though on the outside i looked clean i was just like one of those parables about the pharisees mm. and the inside was just ugly right yeah but i just kept cleaning the outside of my cup thinking that was good enough what if we could see people the way that he does oh yeah i pray that that's one of the most frequent things that i ask for is like give me eyes to see people like you do because he sees them because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a pretty critical person yeah and i'll see all the things i don't like mm-hmm. about someone uh and a lot of times those aren't like inaccurate Mm -hmm. but he sees even more yeah (laughs) that's unlovable about people and he loves them anyway and i'm like gosh like how do you how does he do it yeah it's amazing it is and that's another thing i'm learning in this season just grace right um yeah just to be gracious to people you know because i have been given so much grace and so that's definitely one thing that um, i'm consciously trying to like rewind the tape and play it in a different way when i'm quick to judge or when i'm yeah like i think one of the 
pastors recently preached and said, you know, when you notice that you're getting mad about something, like, look at that, mm. you know, like what's at the core of that. And it's always selfishness. Yeah. Right. It's always Usually, selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. Pridefulness, right. selfishness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for me, it's like when I've noticed that to stop and go, well, okay, where do I just need to give grace? You know? Mm. Yeah. I, I wish that message was more prevalent in church in general. I think ours does okay. Yeah. Like we're doing good. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and and you've got an interesting like perspective on it because you've gone to Chinese Brazilian <laughs> church in Brazil and then the Chinese Christian Baptist church in Chicago. <laughs> See, I'm getting it. We, uh, and then... The Plymouth Brethren Church. Plymouth Brethren, <laughs> yeah. And then the Oakland Church, and then the Fremont Church, and then Resonate Church. And that, I think, what what an interesting, like, I've only gone to, like, two. Wow. The other one is, is exactly, uh, like, 500 feet that way. <laughs> like, not, not quite that far, but it's, like, a, less than a mile away. And I went there, and now I go to, you know, Resonate. And I get to see other churches, but I haven't, like, seen them as much as you have. Yeah. You know? Uh, just fr- from that angle, like what are what are some areas that that you feel like are are challenging the church, and how are you know where how are we doing? <laughs> yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I don't. I don't know if I could answer that one well, but. I guess in a lot of ways, um, I feel that the culture is actually affecting the church. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like the gospel is being watered down in some ways, and I feel I mean the church in general, right? Yeah. The church in general. Um, I feel like the reason the culture sees Christians as um, antagonistic, hostile, judgmental is because that's how we become. <laughs> and we, I feel like we've walked real far from the true gospel of grace. Hmm. Um, the church in general, right? Yeah. Um, and I also feel like we've become culturally irrelevant because in an effort to fight against um, what we said was sinful or bad, yeah. uh, we've kind of decided to sterilize ourselves and not be in the world hmm. so we've kind of built this little bubble around us yeah and we kind of stayed in the bubble and we've now walked away from the culture in a relevant way hmm. yeah what what ways do you think that's like the most dramatic hmm because my, my mind automatically goes to, like, just the, the, especially where we are right now. Yeah. Just our culture is about progress yeah. and, and technology, but also political progress, right. too. Like, we're um, traditional yeah. Christian uh, views and values aren't mm-hmm. really welcome. <laughs> yes. The, you know, most of the time. Obviously, there's no, we say we're not right or left. You know, we're kind of 
We're not left wing or right wing. We're the whole chicken. Right. right? That's what that's what Guan says. I yeah. love it. But we've got you know the, you know San Francisco's right here, mm-hmm. and this is where culture starts, and yeah. it goes east. You know from here. Yeah. Um, you know I think of the LGBT issues. Yeah. That we have. I think of, uh, just. The, the whole immigration discussion is mm-hmm. huge where we are where we're at right now. The political climate is very hot, mm-hmm. and people's opinions are hot. So we're kind of stuck in this weird spot, where, yeah, we don't want to build a bubble, but we're still counterculture. Yeah, yeah. Like how? And I think the trick for the church is um, how to uh, have convictions. Um, and still love people and not judge, right? Yeah. Because we, we still have to stand on truth. And yeah, just the, you know, whole um, the LGBT issue. So growing up really conservative, conservative churches, Asian background, um, mm. it was always them, right? Real far away, you know, far, very far away. Something that right was never close. The, yeah, cultural studies people call that the other. Mm-hmm. It's those Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I never really had to deal with it, think about it much. In my mind, it was just classified as others, them, um, not yeah. part of me, and a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, right. And even though you know, you hear people say all the time, "Oh, well, we we hate the sin, but we we love the person." Yeah, um, it's harder harder to do than easier said than done. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and so that that's something that actually uh, was another major change for our lives because that actually came to our family. Yeah. And so uh, learning to love one of our um, children who has is part of the LGBT community was right. just a journey for us because it was just it rocked our world when it started. Yeah. Um, but you know, but the thing that I've learned through this process is um, relationship before position yeah that's just really important and so that has been just this learning process um and it was easy because it was our kid right you're always going to love your kid no right. matter what and so yeah that, that's been a journey and i think one of the things that has um yeah defined a lot of what i believe um about grace about uh who god is and the way he loves um yeah, that each person each is a soul that's important yeah. to God. And that if we don't sit down and share stories and hear stories, then we really never understand where they're coming from. And so I feel like, yeah, in many ways I feel like our churches should have um, bigger tables instead of sitting across the table from each other. We should really be sitting next to the table, next to each other and having conversations, yeah. having dialogue. I think we should open our doors wider. Yeah. Um, because it's people who are hurting, who are looking for answers, but maybe looking in the wrong places for answers. Hmm. And I feel like we have the answer. Yeah. We should open the doors wider, invite them in. But it, it seems like everyone is is hurting. Yeah. And everyone's looking for an answer. Mm-hmm. We're all broken. And it, 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 yeah, it breaks my heart to think that there's any category of person who who feels like you know the the way that they're hurting or you know the, what they're going through yeah. is um 
a disqualifier. Right. Right. Like, you know, we look at uh, drug addictions. Come in. We have, you know, the program. We have this and that. We, you know, we love you. We love you. But I, th I think there's a lot of, there's still a lot of that stigma, especially yeah. for that specific subject. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I wouldn't say most of the time people get outright rejected. I don't th I don't think that happens. At least I haven't I haven't come up with it personally. It probably does. Um, but there's still like this aura. Yeah. This know, is that, underlining judgment that they feel. That there's this this category that they like, oh that's that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. And and I I said it and last time I uh, I was preaching. That that you know the, the way the gospel works is there is no minimum level of holiness mm -hmm. that you have to get to on your own in order to be like available to be loved by Christ. That's yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. No way. Like you have it already. Yeah. You know, and and the church's job is to offer a hand. Yeah. And tell you about it. It's not my job to tell you. Oh, I think. I think when you get saved, Jesus is going to change all of this about you. <laughs> no, stop it. Yeah. Like, come in, hear the message. He like, loves you where you're at. Yeah. 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 And that's a message that we should be preaching too. Um, but, you know, I feel like in some ways they're like, we classify sins in different categories, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, the LGBT sin has just been one of those that, you know, gets classified as taboo. Yeah. Um, it's out there. Yeah, um, it's also a very complicated topic, you know, and so I can understand why it's not um, readily talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, from church, it it needs it needs to be a sit down conversation over long periods of time. Yeah. Well, so, it's there's there's the relationship again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so definitely God has grown a a, a huge heart of compassion. Um, like for all people, you know, hmm. and yeah, and in in many ways, yeah, I have I have learned through this whole process that there's two sides to every story, yeah. and that you need to listen to both story, both sides of the story, right? Uh, in order to be to understand, and uh, you you can't be, uh, yeah, you can't understand unless you sit there and listen. Hmm. So listening is definitely something that I've learned. Um, you know, simple questions like, tell me your story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of why I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> when, when else would, would I get to sit here yeah. and just dig around in your head for, for yeah. how, like two, two and a half hours? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Just hearing all that, I, I just, I feel so fortunate. Like to to be counted among the 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 saved, mm -hmm. you know. I feel like I I feel, I feel awkward even saying that because yeah. it's like I, I haven't done anything for this. Yeah, like I'm not better than anybody. Right. Even though I still think I am sometimes. But it, it's a it's a shocker every time. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, the further you go. The, the more, the further you realize you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because I, you figure with most things, you, like, if you get a job, 
you learn the job, you get better at the job, and you suck less at it, and like you need less guidance and correction, and and but following Christ is not that way. No. You don't get good at it. You realize how horrible you are. Yes. Like the, the further you go, the more you realize, oh gosh, like I didn't even know how bad I was yeah. before. And in a funny way, that's actually more delightful, right? Yeah. To know how much you're really loved. Yeah. As you realize how undeserving you are. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and that God just delights in you taking del- delight in Him. That's yeah. kind of cool, yeah. Well, hey, what what is next for you? I don't know. You know, um, I tell everybody I'd finally figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up, when I turned 50. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just starting doing what I was supposed to do when I grew up. Um, do you have any dumb goals going on that we got to <laughs> start working on? You want money? <laughs> So I, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, like I said, you know, like I live every day like it's my last day. Um, try to just be obedient to what God calls me to today. Uh, I don't have a bucket list. Um, and I actually, there's just nothing I really have to do before I die. Hmm. So I'm just kind of hanging in there doing stuff. I feel like there's still more ahead. Um, yeah. I feel like God is humbling me. You know, ministry is humbling because <laughs> yeah. every day you realize how little you know and how bad you are at it. Um, Thank God he's not depending on us to get this done. Totally right. <laughs> we just get front row seats to see it, to watch yeah. it. Right? He's using us, and yeah. I'm happy when he does, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely not in charge of this thing. No, and so I don't know. I, I don't have any future plans. I don't have a bucket list. I'm just living every day like it's my last day, and when it is my last day, I... I hope I, I hope I'm, um, yeah, I hope I die just glorifying him and just, just, mm. just being gracious and, you know, I don't even care if I'm remembered, you know, just do the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. This is a pleasure. It was fun. I'm so glad we got to do this. It was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. Ah, you were scared. <laughs> thank you, I was. You were scared. <laughs> yeah. We just had a little dog snore. <laughs> We had the trains in the background, but uh, that's Newark. Yeah, you have a great story. Uh, and you do too. Maybe someday I'll interview you so you can tell we your could story. We could flip these around. Yeah. I don't know. What episode? This is number six? Maybe a hundred. <laughs> a couple of years, I'll do one. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's going to come out in bits and pieces if people listen to all these, right? Um, yeah. Are you looking forward to Advent, Christmas, all this stuff I going am. on? You know, I... I'm more excited about Advent this year because I'm leading my MC to, um, yeah, we're starting to pray for people and hmm. wanting to invite them, uh, just, just watching what God is going to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The church has been growing, like, dramatically. I don't know what's going on, but I, I've seen it in the, the children's ministry, just yeah. like, all I'm looking around, like, who are these kids? yeah (laughs) wait wait a minute where'd you come from like every week there's like 10 kids i don't recognize it's crazy yeah i don't know what's going on there's a amazing there's a gathering happening Mm -hmm. and god is awakening people's hearts yeah and only he can do that yeah we can talk to we're blue in the face 
and nothing will sink in unless God does the work in, in their hearts, and that's what's happening. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, and then we're, we just signed the final papers for Resonate Building. Yes. So at, at some point we could go back and listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, I remember. We didn't have a building then. Remember when we were portable? That was crazy. We set up all the time, uh, driving ourselves nuts. Although I'm expecting things to be way crazier than we anticipate. Oh, the, the next the next year. Yeah, the next year is going to be. Uh, yeah, none of us have any idea. We don't. These things never go like. Okay, yeah, we bought the building, and then magical things are going to happen, and we move into it. Yay! No, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a blessing and a trial. But yeah, we're, we're going to learn. I'm just thinking simply of boxing up everything we own in our office. Just that. Just that. Is a pain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone, how do we transfer from this mega portable thing to in a building thing? What do we do with that stuff? Where does it go? What about our containers? What about the trailers? What about, do we save this? Do we keep it? Do we, ah. Yeah. Yeah. And Sundays come every seven days. Yeah. And Sundays come. Sundays always <laughs> coming like a train. You can't stop it. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, Angela, it, it's been Amazing getting to know you for the last three and a half-ish. I don't know. You could probably tell better than I can how long I've known you. Uh, I love stopping by your desk and chatting about random things. And Yeah, uh, yeah I've seen a huge heart to love people. And, and it crossed my mind when you were talking about uh, all, the, all the cards and all the help that you got, you know, when you were laid up. And that makes sense. You know, that that's evidence of, of the kind of person God's made you. That th those people wouldn't do that if they didn't think you actually cared about them. Or they and thought that, I was going to die. That too. <laughs> yeah. But there's plenty of people who have funerals that no one come to. <laughs> you know, I think, I think you're just a delightful human. And I've seen God using you already in a lot of ways. And I think as you get wiser, you know, you're only going to get stronger. Um, but it, the challenges aren't over either. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the the stronger you get, the bigger target you become for the enemy too. He's not dumb. Yeah. If he can, if, if, if I can see what other people are capable of, so can he. Yeah. And so the battle just gets more intense, but the winds get bigger and it's just glorious. I, I can't wait to see what he does with you. Yeah, and we know the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. We win. <laughs> yeah. Neener, neener. <laughs> yeah, but I would say the same about you. I just really appreciated getting to know you. Um, yeah. I just see you as an incredibly gifted person. And uh, you have a huge heart. Uh, you know, just, I just love hearing you speak. I'm looking forward to you speaking at our winter retreat for 1822. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just want me to drive? <laughs> no, no, no. But you, you always inspire me um, to look at the gospel again. You know, yeah. Um, I, I, I just love your heart for the students that you're leading, not just the little kids, but the amp kids, the staff, the people. Yeah. 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 Any, anyone will let me get a hold of them. I'll, yeah. I'll uh, do something with. That, that's what I love. I love about you, <laughs> and your creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's uh. I have to do that. I go crazy. Yeah, you're a four. If I'm not building or yeah. creating or designing. You know what I'm bummed about because of this smoke? Yes, I heard. Uh, so for those listening, I've wanted to build a 
medieval trebuchet, which is a siege device. It's one of the most amazing things ever invented by humans, I think. And I built one. And it's awesome. And it's awesome. And we were going to use it Sunday for an event to like connect with families and stuff. But it's so smoky that we are postponing it. Oh, you're just postponing it. It will fly. It will fly. It will fly. It has flown, and it's awesome. Yeah, not so Good job. Yeah, thank you. Very impressive. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for that. Right on. This was fun. Yeah, it was. Thank you. All right. Love you. Love you, too. All right, folks. That's it for another episode of the Great Stories Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Man, what a cool lady. Gosh, what just a, a huge heart, crazy story, great attitude such a bright future i think so young at heart and just uh i can't wait to see the ways that god is going to continue to bless the world through uh his servant angela yee uh as always uh, you can follow us on facebook at the great stories podcast uh if you want to be on the show or you know someone who you think would be great for me to sit down with please shoot me an email at the great stories podcast at gmail You can listen on Apple or Stitcher, or you can go straight to the website at greatstories.podbean.com. And please, if you want to support the show, just uh, share the episodes, get these stories out, give us a five-star rating on Apple, and it'll help us to hike up on people's uh, searches for different podcasts. And of course, we have a Patreon. So if you want to support the show a little bit, Search for The Great Stories Podcast at patreon.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you, or I'll talk to someone, but I will see you. I won't see you either. What am I saying? This is crazy. Listen to me in a couple weeks. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you later. Oh, so you're still here. All right. Well, uh, so what you have dis- discovered accidentally at this point uh, is a part of the show that I tag on to the end of this thing where it's just kind of uh, a spot where I just talk about kind of whatever's on my mind. <laughs> sometimes it's deep. Sometimes it's not. Today is not. I'm feeling goofy. It's getting late. Uh, but a story came to mind uh, that I wanted to tell, and it's from when I was in high school. Uh, so not a lot of great stories uh, came out of my high school years, but this one is worth sharing. And I, I, there's been a lot of students in our amp ministry who've started to learn how to drive and get their licenses. And, and of course, you know, that was an interesting time for me uh, in that I, you know, I, I was the kind of guy that woke up every day just thinking like, hey, I wonder if I could do that. <laughs> and of course, you know, you put a car into my hands and you're going to get some mayhem. And so, there, okay, there's one one day in particular when my parents, I, I forget what they were doing, but they were gone for the night. And it was uh, right kind of in the break between a couple storm systems that were coming through the Bay Area. So there was a lot of standing water around and just a lot of mud. 
and I was driving the family's 92 Ford Explorer. And I thought it would be just really fun to go out and try to find uh, just some mud, you know, to go do some donuts and <laughs> just do, you know, tear it up a little bit. It's always safer to do donuts in the mud because there's, you know, it's easier on the car. So I go down, and this is in uh, Redwood City. I go down to uh, this kind of down by the, the bay, the marshes. There's a bunch of open areas in there. And there was this huge flat, like, dirt lot that was, it was graded as if, you know, something's going to be built there someday. But there was nothing there. There was just, a, like, some random pickup truck and this little, looked like electrical, I don't know, junction thing inside of a cage. And then that was it, just a huge open lot. And it was full of mud. So I was like, yes, let's go. And so I get out there. And it's maybe like, I want to say 9 o'clock at night. Something like that. It's dark. It's dark. But I go out there. I'm by myself. And I think I was like, uh, maybe 18. Maybe 18. Maybe 18. And so I go out into the field. And at first, I, I'm kind of, you know, a little... A little hesitant, so I'm a little ginger about it, you know, going, oh, it's not as deep over there, so I'll go through there, and I'm doing donuts, and, you know, of course, as, as you get more comfortable, you get more gutsy, and more gutsy, and then before you know it, I'm, I'm just whole hog, full donuts, sliding sideways through the mud, and, <laughs> and just, like, flinging it everywhere, I can barely see where I'm going, because there's mud flying back on the windshield, it's great, and I get to a point, I've been there for, like, an hour doing this, and, uh, I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I've done pretty good here. <laughs> I haven't got stuck. Nothing's broken. I'm like, okay, I should probably think about leaving. Like, I'm actually going to get away with this. This is great. In my parents' Ford Explorer. Uh, so I start heading, you know, back towards the where I came in at. And there's like this one more mud pit. And I think, okay, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> so I get, a, I get a whole head of steam up and I just bash into this mud hole uh and of course i get stuck uh i got so stuck i was so stuck that all four wheels were just spinning freely because the entire chassis of the car was resting on mud <laughs> i wasn't going anywhere and so i'm like oh no like i i can't I can't call triple A. Like, I, I, what am I going to do? I got to get out of here. And, you know, as, as much of a panic as that is for an 18 year old in their parents' car, I kind of thrive in those situations. So I, I was almost like happy about it. And while, while I'm panicking, you know, upset, I'm also happy about it. So I get out and I, I start looking for stuff to shove under the tires. Cause I heard that's something you do. You find wood or rocks or whatever, and you put them under the tires and it, it like, works as like some kind of a, a boost, you know, and so I did that, I found wood, I start shoving planks of wood under there, nail, uh, not nails, uh, uh, rocks, all kinds of stuff, just whatever I could find, and nothing was working, the, the mud was so slippery that whatever I put under there would just slide out, or, or just the tire would just spin over, it wasn't working, uh, I got a shovel out, and I started trying to literally dig uh, under the car, which was a futile effort because there was just so much mud. I, I, I wasn't, put, it would take me a, a day to dig that thing out of there. And I had, so I had one more like last resort 
And at, at the time, I was training to be uh, a firefighter, and I, I was a total try-hard hero. And I had, like, ropes and, you know, just medical stuff and rescue equipment in the back of my car. I don't know, for just such an occasion. But I happened to have, like, uh, some rope and some pulleys. And, you know, I was like, ah, all right, maybe, maybe I could do something with this. So I tie a rope to the back of the car. And I'm looking around, like, I need something to tie this to. And there's, like, a no parking sign 100 feet behind me. Well, luckily, I've got 300 feet of rope. So I, <laughs> I'd stomp through the mud, tie the rope to this no parking sign. I run a couple pulleys, and I start pulling on that car, and it didn't move. Like, no way, I'm not going to pull a car out. Like, I don't, you know, I don't care what kind of mechanical advantage you have. You're not pulling that car out. So I'm just frustrated. I'm walking around. And, oh, you know, by the way, it's started to rain again. You know, so it's only getting more muddy. I'm getting more dirty. I'm getting cold. It's wet. It's like 1130. Almost, you know, it's late. And I'm just trying to get out of there. So I figure like, okay, well, I'm sure I'm putting some kind of, you know, pull on this thing when I pull on this rope. So I, I pull on the rope as hard as I can. And I, uh, I put like a, a lot of stretch in the rope. You know, so it's tight. Very, very tight. And so I tie it off. And so I figure like, okay, well, so that's pulling on the back of the car, you know, a certain amount. And maybe if I get in the car and give it some gas in reverse, maybe, you know, it'll be enough spring to just like, yeah, like yank me out. So I get in the car and sure enough, I put it in reverse and give it a little gas and boink. And the rope just has enough spring in it to actually give me a boost. And I, I got out. And so I, I reversed it. I got out of the mud and I'm all happy with myself. And I stop and I, I get out and I look under the car. And of course, the rope had wrapped itself like around the axle like a whole bunch of times because I, I was going backwards. So I, oh my gosh. So now here I am again. Now it's still raining, it's getting later. Now I'm laying on the ground under the car with a knife, you know, trying to cut away all this webbing and you know stuff and finally I, I get everything freed up and I'm good I put it all back in the bag throw it in the back of the explorer and I'm like oh. you know it, that moment when you shut the door it's quiet again windshield wipers are going it's still raining I'm just like oh my gosh okay I made it <laughs> so I start heading back toward the driveway uh, to that construction site there and I as I'm going along I'm kind of going parallel to a, a road that goes along the edge of the site and I look to my right and I see this car that's going the same speed as I am kind of tracking me on the street I'm like oh that's weird why is that like the speed limits whatever it's fast that car should be going a lot faster well it turns out I look a little closer and it's a cop and he's going the same speed as me, looking over, wondering. I don't know if someone called him or whatever, but, you know, I'm I'm on a construction site. I'm on private property, and I'm doing donuts and stuff. I don't know how long he was there. I have no idea. And now I'm, like, realizing that he's looking at me. And then he pulls ahead, and he pulls in the driveway that I'm trying to get out of. And so I go up, and I, I meet him there you know he, he's sitting in his car and I'm sitting in mine and I devise a scheme <laughs> and so I park with my headlights uh, just facing directly at him 
you know, just like right in his face. <laughs> you know, he's maybe 30 feet away. And I, so I get out of the car and he stays, he stays in his car. And I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I bet you he does not want to get out of his car if he doesn't have to. So I'm going to try to give him every reason to stay in that thing and drive away. So I figure like, okay, what can I do? So I, I get out of the car and I reach in the back of mine and I, I got my rain jacket. So I, I kind of grab my rain jacket and as I'm grabbing it, I, I sort of like look at him and I stick my hand up in the air, kind of squint my eyes, look at him like, and I, and I kind of wave at him, but not in like the, Hey, how you doing? But in kind of like, what do you, yeah, what do you want? Like, what are you doing here? Uh, so I put the rain jacket on, I got a backpack in there. So I, I throw my backpack on and I just grab this other random, like, I think it's a rope bag or something like that. And there's a, there's another pickup truck, like a construction truck, uh, parked over there too. I just saw that on the way in. So I walk over there and I, I take my backpack and the other bag and I, I toss it in the, in the truck bed, you know, of that truck. Uh, and then I go over to the that that electrical junction thing that was in the inside a cage and I walk up to the door of it and there's a lock on it so I'm like oh cool so I, I walk back to my truck and I, I grab my keys you know and then I walk back over to the cage and I start messing with my keys like I'm trying to find the key to the lock and you know I'm just trying to convince him that I'm supposed to be there and sure enough he drives away <laughs> Oh, what a relief. So he drives off and I'm just like, oh, can anything else go wrong today? Please let me out of here. And uh, nothing else went wrong. That, that was it. I, I got back in my car. I drove home. And I realized when I got home that like I had mud, like just buckets of mud under the car. And I had, oh my gosh, I had to clean it. So I'm thinking, hey, it's raining. I'll just spray it off in the driveway. And then the rain will wash it out into the gutter and all that. Well, you know, when, when you have, I don't know, like 30 gallons of mud stuck to the bottom of your car, the rain doesn't just wash it out of your driveway. <laughs> so when my parents got home, they see the Explorer sitting there with this huge pile of mud under it. And it's flowing down into the gutters and all that. And my dad was cool about it. I think he knew what happened. You know, I, I lied to him. I told him, I don't know, somebody came and like dumped a bucket it's a stupid lie whatever teenagers are dumb but i'm pretty sure my dad was wise to it whatever i guess he figured that since the car looked fine and you know i didn't get arrested or anything that it must have been okay <laughs> but either way for those of you parents out there who have kids learning to drive um good luck you know <laughs> i don't know what to tell you uh thanks for listening see you next time